oh my god graham we should we've got so many episodes to talk about we we should try we should probably get into that and then okay but but here's the thing <laughs> i've come up with a i've come up with a rule okay we're only going to spend like 10 minutes on an issue Oh my God! What? That's not even fun. I mean, it makes sense actually, because otherwise we'll <laughs> Look, never get through no, it. No, because there's there's eleven issues. No, if you spend ten minutes, that's like two hours. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. Right? I know. Yeah, yeah. Because no. otherwise, what's going to happen is what always happens, which is we spend like half an hour on an issue, <laughs> and then half an hour on an issue, and then we do like nine issues in like an hour. <laughs> We've both done this before. We get tired, and then we're like, yeah, and then this happens, whatever. Hello, Vodnots, and welcome to Jeff. Get this the last ever episode of Baxter Building. What? Baxter Building episode fifty. In which myself, Graham McMillan, and my esteemed co-host, whose name I've already given away, but now he's going to introduce himself. Is Jeff Lester. Hello. We go through the first volume of Marvel's Fantastic Four, and we're we're done it. Jeff, we're doing doing the last 11 issues tonight. I know. I know, Graham. I know. It's insane. It's really kind of insane that we made it. We finally, we finally made it. All 416 issues. And of course, because you're a genius in 50 episodes. That's, that's just... Yeah, I wish I could claim. Not only did I not plan 50 episodes, but also if we hadn't done two episodes of one night before, we wouldn't have finished at the end of the year either. Like oh, it's literally coincidence. Yeah. But we did it. Yeah. I say that like we've, we've not recorded yet. Like we're literally starting. Who knows if we'll get through <laughs> <laughs> It's true. We're being a little cocky, but we are. Like we're really asking for trouble. Yeah, um, yeah. We're doing issues four hundred six through four sixteen, the last eleven issues of the first volume of Fantastic Four from ninety five through ninety six. Right? Yeah, that's correct. Jeff, I said this in email to you. I think, or maybe mm-hmm. I didn't. I like these issues. <laughs> like the Stockholm syndrome kicked in. No, seriously, I know what you mean. I think that it's just because. They just they just managed to drop our standards low enough that it was kind I, of like yes, but also I genuinely think that Tom DeFalco, at least in the, the like the first few issues here, hmm? is having fun in a way that he's not had fun in the longest time. Hmm. Maybe it's because like they're finally wrapping up the plots, right? But there's I honestly like I felt I feel there's much more vitality to this book. I read these. So we recorded the last podcast on Saturday. We recorded Wait One Saturday. Mm-hmm. And on Sunday, it slowly like dawned on me that if we were doing the final Baxter building, I had to read 11 issues of Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. And given how exciting they've been, it's fair to say that I was dreading this. Yes. And so Sunday night, like I'm pretty much like, fine, I'm going to start it now because I'm just going to get like two issues in and I'm going to take a break and then like I'll just do a few issues a night. Mm-hmm. I made it through all 11 issues that night because I was just like, this is good. Is this good? This guy, is this good? Because <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm, I'm wanting to read, like, I'm wanting to read further. And I shit you not, Jeff, by the end of it, I was like, I wish there had been a spinoff book when they did Hero's Return. Mm. I get it. Well, like a spinoff book with the other supporting the characters? Character. Yeah, because yeah, like the series ends and like Kristoff's still around, Scott Lang's still around, yeah. Lija's still around. Yeah. 
you know, like there literally is this this there there is essentially a replacement Fantastic Four mm-hmm. there waiting to be for someone to do something with them, and especially because for the most part they all just disappear into limbo after this. Mm. And so I really was like, I wish someone had done something. Yeah, definitely. Well, because this is this is it. I mean, for me, the things that I liked about this issues were you you teased me for liking Kristoff, but I. I still like Kristoff. I really like the stuff that DeFalco does with him in this issue. As you know, I've always, I've, I'm a fan of Lysha and I, she's arguably my favorite character in the book. So as she sort of, they both end up with a lot to do. And it's kind of that thing of, oh, I, there's two characters that I like that I'm invested in. And then to sort of add on to that, uh, DeFalco is, finally there's finally this thing of like oh jesus okay there's closure like defalco has his like here's the reveal of the big bad that he's been promising for 50 plus issues yeah exactly at this point it really is like you know he's been promising a variation on this character Mm -hmm. maybe not for 50 issues but definitely like for the last like three or four years yeah, well, I mean, I, four four years is forty eight issues. So, I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really close to that, you know. Basically, ever since Nathaniel Richards grabbed Franklin, I guess that's right. That that really is at this point like thirty issues, right? Yeah, because that was around three seventy five. Yeah. I, oh yeah, was it three seventy five? So funny. I thought it was earlier than that, but yeah, basically. So it's like the so there's that, and then. Reed gets bumped off in issue, and Doom get bumped off in what issue three eighty or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And he finally gets to close the shit off. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of shit that has just been hanging there mm-hmm. for a while, and so it's kind of I I think it sort of makes sense that you know if we were reading these things in isolation, you know, it, there'd be kind of a like. What the hell is this shit? But but honestly, you know, having been along for the whole ride, it's like, oh, A, I'm getting closure. And B, I think that um, for the, like, I've kind of thought that DeFalco stuck more of the landings right? than I thought he would. I was It's shocked. so surprising. Yeah. And also, one of the things that really helped me for these issues as well is, at least in the Strange Days mm-hmm. series, which is only called Strange Days on the cover, so yes. who knows if that's like DeFalco's title or an editorial title. Yeah. The pace of that storyline is so much faster than we've seen in this book. You know, we're going to have to quibble on that in the specific issues, because honestly, I'm like, yes, but but 406 and 407, I feel, are incredibly draggy. You know what You're I mean? Right? No, I do know what you mean. But I guess what I'm thinking of is, is for example, spoilers, everyone, 406 brings back Doom. Mm-hmm. And Christoph does something. Mm-hmm. And then in 407, like, that pays off. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not the setup and then the payoff a year down the line that we've become used to. No, or even exactly. like two or three issues down the line. It yes. pretty much is something will be set up and then paid off the next issue. Yep. Which is significantly faster than this book has been for the longest time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Agreed. You know, and don't get me wrong, there's still a lot of filler. And definitely when you get to like, you know, like four twelve, four thirteen. Oh like, god, right. They're yeah, like yeah. A, like stunning filler. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like at least to begin with. Yeah. 
it's really genuinely it's more energetic than this book has felt in a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I no, I think so. I think so. Uh I I really do God help me, there's the there's a lot of shit that I thought was um well anyway. So yeah, let's let's so, yeah, jump let, let's, it. let's yeah. jump in. Four oh six Strange Days Part One, I guess. Again, Strange Days is only a logo that's on the covers. Yes. It's never mentioned in the comics itself. But I love the covers of four oh six and four oh seven. Yes. Because I they're think so bold. Four oh six is literally just looking up at Doom's face and it just says Doom is back. Mm-hmm. And four oh seven is like Reed's looking haggard as shit. And it says Reed returns. Yeah. And it's just this lovely mm-hmm. diptych of filing the story right out. Yeah. You know, it's just been like this is what you've been waiting for. This yeah. is it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 406 is called Doom Quest! Exclamation <laughs> point. With a little banner along the top that says, The long awaited and much demanded return of Comic Tom's greatest supervillain. And sure. <laughs> well, it is, but like the Doom as you see him is basically a, a prop. In this yes, situation. it's totally true. Yeah. There, there's, you know? there's a certain degree of bait and switch going on in this issue, too, which is kind of like. Uh, like it literally sort of like with the next issue that follows it's like everything is in place and technically as you said he's a doom is a prop until the last page when he quote, exactly unquote, and that's not yeah and and it's true and the last page is when you get the oh doom's back mm-hmm. like you know it's it lives up to that cover even though it does feel to that point like bait and switch yeah the short version of the plot is you may or may not remember dear listeners that the tomorrow man was was threatening the Fantastic Four in the last issue and turned into a pile of ash, just like Reed did, just like Doom did. But uh, Christoph was like, oh, but I, I've got like sensors now and I can track back where he's gone. Like I, I can trace the energy. And so the issue starts with him tracing the energy, but the scanning device I sent in pursuit of the Tomorrow Man has returned from the distant future, but someone booby-trapped it and it's about to... And instead of exploding and hurting the Fantastic Four, Sue contains it in a force field and is wonderfully snarky. A, be contained within an invisible force field. B, provide us with additional clues to Zarko's curtain location. C, help lead us to Reed and Doom. Or D, all of the above. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's... I do genuinely like that opening. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I do too. And it's kind of interesting that, that... How do I put it? Like... DeFalco has hit this tone that he he's hit with Sue, which is that she's alternately no nonsense and pretty snarky, you know? And right? that's yeah. It, but like there's a there's a weird knowingness about this book in general. So, you know, you get the first page where it looks like it's about to explode, and the next page has Sue completely diffusing it. The second page ends with Sue saying, Okay, we're going to where this is leading us. And Neymar's like, have you lost your mind, Susan? Has it not occurred to you that this could be an elaborate trap? Cut to the future, where the Tomorrow Man is watching this and going, well, duh. Right, <laughs> Neymar. There's this wonderful, like, strange, self-conscious or self-aware energy that has not been in this book for the longest time. Right. That, right. that really does play well. Mm. Zarko's talking to the mysterious cloaked villain that we've seen for a while mm-hmm. and he goes and talks to a man in a green smock with brown hair who you see from behind who is being suspended and is described as the prisoner mm-hmm. and you know there's i mean you see a glove belonging to this cloaked figure but again it's a bait and switch from the cover yeah because you don't see anything 
yeah. you only see the cloak, there is the, the possibility of, oh, this is Doom. Mm-hmm. He's definitely talking very Doomly. Yes. He, he's talking about uh, the dissidents will pay for their defiance with their lives. Mm-hmm. And so the incompetent fool of a governor for failing to crush this insurrection, which is a very Doom-esque yeah. line. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, you will find out later, an entirely different villain who is basically the dictator of time. Mm-hmm. And he is punishing, he's he's running time like people think Doom runs Latveria. But of course, every time we see Latveria, they love Doom. Mm-hmm. And Doom keeps order through fear. Mm-hmm. And this villain instead literally keeps order by killing everyone who rises against him. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where even the Tomorrow Man is horrified. I enjoy good payback as much as anyone, he says. But this, how many more worlds and civilizations will this lunatic obliterate before he's done? Cut back to the uh, Four Freedom Plaza, where Namor and Sue are continuing to fight about the fact that they're looking for Reed. And Namor praise we do not find him for all our sakes <laughs> this this is a one of the terrible filler issues in 412 oh god yes yeah cut to then the lab where christoph is working on his armor and is very upset when scott lang talk, walks in to talk to him mm-hmm. and scott says sweet kids i wonder what he was doing when i entered spoiler nothing yes yeah if, that is, if that's a subplot it literally goes nowhere yeah like it doesn't go anywhere beyond that page which is not. Well, yes and no. I mean, I don't think that there's like a, a definite line drawn in there, but there is the loosest amount of like, Christoph, which side is he on? And as you said, it pays off actually really quickly, but it almost feels as if uh, DeFalco is trying to set this up for a longer um well, exactly. Like, I, and part of that is, I think this book has trained us to expect bad things. Yes, completely. like I see, a, I see a scene like that, and I think it's literally Defalco's long game, and this will play out over a year. Yes, before to like the introduction of another cloaked villain. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, we have a prime example of this in just a little bit that I sort of want to talk about when we get there. But yes. Oh, but, but like even even on the same page, the same page as this Christoph and, and Scott scene, mm-hmm. Sue is talking to Elijah and has an idea that we should discuss, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. And that, again, looks like a subplot that's going to go on forever and pays off later with this issue. Yes, which is which, amazing. Which is like, it, right? It really is genuinely surprising to see mm-hmm. this stuff happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see Ben transform back into the thing because, of course, he has a machine which now allows him to transform to the thing and back again. Mm-hmm. Again, there was a subplot that has been entirely dropped that it makes him particularly grumpy and angry. I don't so, think... So, that, I, I, I wanted to... I'm glad you brought that up. Here's the thing that the, the dime finally dropped for me. So I want to say quote unquote spoilers, but just in the sense of we'll be talking about them in a few minutes anyway. Ben uh, uh, at a certain point decides that Lysia is hot and she clearly is, you know, has the unrequited love thing going on for Johnny Storm and Ben's like, she should get with me. Which Mm -hmm. is weird and crappy like it's not only is it kind of weird that it's the this is being written by the guy who more or less steered through the rocky weird reconciliation period between ben and johnny post lyja with the two of them on the island 
and having to deal with the whole idea of Alicia is still in love with Ben. Johnny is confused because he thought he'd married Alicia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ben's like, every time I look at her, I see your wife and it creeps me out. And it must clearly creep DeFalco out, too, because he, of course, goes on to drop Alicia as a character more or less since. She's barely yeah, – yeah, exactly. when she, she pops she, up at the she end She shows up here, at the end of the book, yeah. Yeah, but she's just not a thing that he's interested in, no pun intended. So when Ben starts expressing interest in Lysha, I was like, oh, is this the little – subplot ray of the machine that makes him more of a dick basically no pun intended and i kind of had the thing the realization the dime drops of this is kind of what defalco does every time he decides he wants to change a character or is thinking about changing a character he gives himself the out of oh but were they fucked up like the whole thing with sue how much Sue was quote unquote malice and how much she casts out malice and then more or less proceeds to act exactly the same. Uh, exactly. In terms we were talking personality wise. Yeah. We were talking about this last episode. Like she does stuff, stuff that before you and I would have been like, well, this is really unsubtle. She's possessed by an evil entity yes. writing. Yeah. And now she just does this stuff. Right. Exactly. And he, uh, DeFalco, goes that way with uh, Johnny and then backs off of it where it's like malice possesses him. And then he's burning up amoeba and he's like, maybe we should be more like the Punisher. And then two episodes later, he's like, no, all life is sacred. Like it clearly didn't stick. But I think that DeFalco is like when he's going to maneuver a character into waters where it might be unpopular, he literally sets he gives himself up, an out. He gives himself this huge out of like, oh, the machine's fucking with Ben and has turned him into a total asshole unless he decides not to, you know, and and <laughs> figures out how to make it part of Ben's character. So, yeah. so I'm. I, I think that I think that's. I think you're right. I think that's a very interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's very much where I suspect he, he, he. Who knows? If he'd had a lot more time, maybe he would have played it out differently. But as it is, it gives himself the very nice out of like, here's a subplot where Ben's going to be kind of douchey, and and like you said, he's got an out for it. As they are, as Ben shows up and the team gathers to go to wherever this energy has has led mm-hmm. um nathan richards nathan richards shows up <laughs> to warn and say that like you know you you mustn't go this this is terrible and what i love is no one cares <laughs> it's the best literally it... sue says nathaniel richards i was wondering exactly when you'd pop up again yeah yep and ben says we appreciate your dramatic entrance pal now she was an even grander exit no <laughs> one cares i love it yeah i genuinely love that like nathaniel shows up and it's just like no really i know who you're going to face this is bad shit don't do it and he has cried wolf so many times they're yeah. like whatever yes which is lovely i i do have to admit that's that's fabulous plus the fact that he refers to himself as the vagabond of time and space, which again, I I almost cried laughing. Like Nathaniel Richards is it's amazing. He is he is astounding. He is the perfect incarnation 
of he's intergalactic deadbeat dad, and I love him. I really do at this point. He is just flat <laughs> out a comedic figure for me that I adore. He's flat out a comedic figure for the book. Yeah, he shows about. up, mm-hmm. and everyone laughs at him. Yeah, it's so great. Yeah. So they take off, and then you decides fine i'm fucking getting out of here and then he is kidnapped by the cloaked figure which i love and leads to again this is me saying that like there's a humor to this book that hasn't been in it for a while Mm -hmm. he's kidnapped by the cloak figure and says the cloak figure well what do you want and the cloak figure's answer is oh the usual absolute power blind obedience total domination (laughs) (laughs) that's just uh 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 i have to say i i I agree with you, at least in the sense of it is a thing that DeFalco is doing and it's an energy that he has. And it helps that it's sort of almost like the Nathaniel Richard stuff. It's I feel DeFalco kind of almost has to go a different way because he's played so many of these notes before. But I don't I don't know that I like it. I mean, you know, oh, no, I, I, I like it insofar as, like I said, you know, it made the books, it made these issues far more enjoyable. Oh, sure. And I get that. I get that. I mean, we're we're literally two pages away from the FF being uh, attacked by a weaponized marching band. So, I mean, it's it's hard. There's a lot to appreciate, you know, in that sense of like, yeah, it's just it's just flat out goofy. And so you get the sense that somebody's having fun again, you know, um, right. Yeah. And it's true. Like so, so the, the FF arrive in the future into what looks like old school Liberia, but everyone's a robot who immediately tries to kill them. Yes, <laughs> with like laser beams, yeah. which I love. And again, talking to how the the this book feels like a different thing. First of all, the Fantastic Four at this point is Sue, Ben, Kristoff, and Namor. Mm-hmm. I hadn't actually realized until this issue. Like, Johnny has been gone for a few issues at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's weird to see how well the, the four who are the team now work. Because mm-hmm. they pretty much do just demolish the robots for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, of course, they're zapped from above and they wake up in, in the traditional robot, like, you know, technological chambers where hilariously they can't move, but they can talk. And Zavako draws attention to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is super weird. As Christoph says, though we have been stripped of all our weaponry and our bodies frozen are, sta- are frozen in status, these chambers were designed to allow us to talk. And Ben says, maybe our host wants to play Trivial Pursuit, the Heroes Edition. That is funny, yeah. But it's it's so strange to, like, again, DeFalco is weirdly, like, leaning into and lapshading all of these things that he's doing. Mm-hmm. Was he just in a really good mood when he wrote this? Or, or ultimately, <laughs> a really bad mood and he's making fun of everything? Right. This is also the page where... The Elijah thing pays off because it turns out that Sue's vest that she was wearing earlier is Elijah. Right, which is great, Graham. You have to admit that's great because of the no, number of times. Great. Yeah, it's such it's such a great bluff because mm-hmm. you didn't see it coming. Yeah, yeah, you don't see it coming in part because the motif of the Defalco Ryan issues is they're always putting on these weird fucking vests that seem to serve no purpose. So. Mm-hmm. You don't see it coming. 
like Sue's running around wearing a vest, and if you haven't read all the previous issues, you might be like, "What's up with that vest? Yeah, well, like, why, why is there a vest? Yeah, right. And instead, but you're right, you don't, because mm-hmm. that because she looks like the characters have looked before. Yeah, exactly. And then they're just like, "No, the vest was Lysia, and she can free the the team. Yes, which she does. And then they're wandering around, and they find the the mysterious figure from before in the the tunic with the brown hair who turns out to be dr doom yes which convinces ben the reader is probably still alive mm-hmm. which is a really nice moment because he's like well if, if that really is him then there's also a chance for reed mm-hmm. again christoph does something this issue which pays off next issue he seems to zap dr doom you don't know what he's doing mm-hmm. he says i'm merely sending a signal to my cherished mentor so that he will know what the salvation is at hand which explains it for this issue but you'll find an issue with something very different and something that advances the story significantly. Yes, yes, very much so. You know, and it, it, there, there's a, a, an economy of storytelling mm-hmm. in these like three issues, three, four issues, which is so unlike the book. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> like really seriously. Mm-hmm. So much so that so while this is happening, the villain then arrives. Mm-hmm. Two things about the villain. One, the name Hyperstorm is terrible. Yes. Like legitimately terrible. Two, the character design is both terrible and maybe the best design Paul Ryan has done. <laughs> Do you? Th- well, I don't know. I guess I see your point. I mean, in terms of po- best design Paul Ryan's done, I think it's atrocious. I feel like. Oh no, I, I think it's atrocious too. Yeah, but I also genuinely think it's the best design Paul Ryan's done. Yeah, you know, I've got a weird fondness for for. Um... Uh, Tyros the Terminator, or whatever the hell it is, you know. Oh, Devos Devastator. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, that guy. It was tough because I I had Paybacks like oh pet yeah name pay- stuck pay- in my head. Yeah, exactly. But and pay- he's Payback Scroll. Payback Paybock. Anyway, Hyperstorm looks like he is like he he got his entire outfit at the Ultraverse Garage Sale. If you ask me, you're actually one hundred percent correct. Yes, he does. He looks very much like an Ultraverse character. One thing, two things I do like about him. One, his hair, while very 1990s, he is rocking that long hair thing. Mm -hmm. Very much makes me think of the Winter Soldier Mm -hmm. in a way that I I appreciate in in all the wrong ways. (laughs) Two, I love that he's wearing like a gold band around his waist that has a skull on it with fangs. (laughs) It's honestly like Paul Ryan's like, fuck it, he's a bad guy, okay? He's got a skull with fangs and a gold bander in his chest. No, it's and totally like, true. Mm-hmm. And like a weird bird motif on his necklace right? and on his helmet, which makes no sense until you get to the origin of the character. Yes, which is weird. And then it's kind of like, oh, that's that's kind of, again, yeah, that d- sort of like. And it literally turns into like, huh, okay. Right, right. Yeah. But like, but like the groundwork for the origin of the character is literally already present mm-hmm. because he says when he introduces himself and he introduces himself in a horrifically long monologue. Yes. Uh, but he says, Susan Richards, Ben Grimm, Namor the Submariner, Elijah Sorum, and of course, Christoph Vernard. I have been rather anxious to greet you all. My childhood, such as it was, was filled with inspirational tales of your daring and courage. Again, this will pay off in either the next issue or the one after, whenever his origin is revealed. Mm-hmm. But it's such an odd comment to leave there that makes me think, oh, they actually planned this shit out for once. Yes. No, 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 no. I, I think that... I think that's super important. If nothing else, I think that DeFalco 
is I like it, proving to somebody that he's like, no, 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 I knew what the shit is all along. I mean, definitely from this issue on, but considering how much it, it ties in with some of the other stuff, I would say probably all along, you know, he kind of, it's, it's so strange. It's yeah. so strange to actually see this land. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The fantastic four attacks. And they are of course, beaten back by Hyperstorm, who is, you know, as powerful as, as Nathaniel has been saying all along. That's Mysteriously right. so, like, legitimately, he seems to be able to do everything fine. Yeah. He's like, you know, he's an unbeatable villain. What is very important is that the issue ends, or the end of the, the battle, I should say, is that he defeats Fantastic Four and says, I shall reward your noble efforts by finally revealing the true fate of Reed Richards. However, rather than bore you with needless exposition, I will simply allow you to join him. And he turns all of them into ash. Mm-hmm. The issue actually ends with him then turning to Doctor Doom and saying, now that's what I call entertainment, which I love. <laughs> And then basically, like, walking out by going, ha, 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 and we cut to Doctor Doom's internal monologue, mm-hmm. where he says, he explains that uh, Christoph basically zapped him with something that, that destroyed the, as he calls it, infernal brain disorator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He says, at last, Doctor Doom again possesses his most potent weapon, his unrivaled intelligence. At long last, I can begin to think and plan. I will have vengeance. A most terrible and unholy vengeance. And that's a great way to end the issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Completely. Like, it really is. Mm-hmm. The FF are clearly not dead, but that's okay because we know that Reed isn't dead anymore. Right. So we now have the mystery of where have they gone? Mm-hmm. Hyperstorm has basically said, it's a destination. I've sent you to find Reed. Mm-hmm. So you know, next issue, you're finding Reed. But you also end the issue with Doctor Doom being like, okay, I can think straight and I'm going to fuck you up. Yep. It's a great cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff, this is actually a good issue of Fantastic Four. <laughs> I know. Who would have thought that we would see it again? You know? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm saying, right? It's it's a really strong issue. No, I I think it is. I'm not as I'm not as fond of the camp uh, as you are, but I but oh, yeah, I'm very I'm very fond of the camp. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I get that, but I think that even even. If you don't like it, which I did not, I was like, the issue works really well. It's a very strong issue. I think actually 407's a bit weak by comparison, but uh, that's is, just me. No, you're you're right. It is in large part because as Reunion! Exclamation point opens, it does open on the Fantastic Four. And like I said, like we finished 406 with, with like a great moment of like, where are they going? And the discovery that essentially, like, they're somewhere being attacked by pirates and barbarians is kind of weak. Like, mm-hmm. it is, a, it, it, do, it lacks the, you know, you don't like the camp, but there is a certain shock of the FF goes to the future and it's Latveria, but no, they're all robots and they're being attacked. There's a novelty there. Yeah. And instead, like, seeing them just, like, fight barbarians is not novel, especially because, like, we've had... Like Conan just showed up a few issues back, but even before that, we had them where they they were in the whatever the world was where the the, um, there were all the jewels. Yeah, right. And and Mm -hmm. Frank So we've seen FF versus Barbarians by this point by this creative team. Yes. So you're right. Like you you start off and it's not even though the FF win in like three pages, Mm -hmm. it it's not 
it's it is a letdown after what you've previously seen. Yeah, I I I, I very much think so. The, jumping from like a uh, robotic battle band to just regular old barbarians, like I was like, wow, that's not dramatic at all. I think it could argue like I I'm not sure, but I do wonder if uh, this is supposed to be Cole and uh the conqueror and his and a band of it before he becomes king so it's like we're supposed to believe like oh they're all the way back on you know uh literally atlantis i don't know because kind of like with conan they do not make yeah they don't make it clear at all yeah yeah but it's also part of me is unlike conan where he pops up for just a panel uh or three panels it's three pages of this, which I guess I would excuse. It's not particularly interesting. But then, sadly, just a few pages later, they more or less double down on it because after the fight and everyone runs off, they discover the 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 weapons and gold and abandoned clothing, essentially, that, that the pirates had stolen from others. And... Uh, more or less after an interlude with Hyperstorm and Zarko the Tomorrow Man and Nathaniel Richards, in which basically Nathaniel Richards is trying to get Zarko to be, you know, like, come on, dude, help me out. Like, this is not a this is not a guy that you want, you know, running things, you know, and. But also that scene I really like because it's it very much underscores that like the Tomorrow Man is is a lackey. Do you know what I mean? Like he he says, Zarko the Tomorrow Man is no man's cur, but then immediately complains about when he teamed up with Loki and says, "I chose a winner this time." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, he's like, "I I am I'm just taking like some other guy can do all the work, and I I'm just like I'll be along for the rides, but you know I'll get this the side benefits." Yeah, exactly. Uh, everyone's going to underestimate me, you know. And Nathaniel's like, "You don't know this guy behind the mask. I know him." you are underestimating him and he 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 doesn't have friends and allies he only has pawns um which, which again mm-hmm. again, again pays off yeah like it, it's this this weird thing where all of a sudden Tafalco is doing stuff that pays off really quickly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. quick cut to doom glowering like more or less catching you up if you hadn't seen the previous issue it's like so it's some exposition so yeah i get annoyed because we then have everyone in Dungeons and Dragons garb, you know, sue after like laughing at Kristoff offering her like ridiculous Red Sonia Valkyrie outfit is, of course, wearing it. Um, you know, Lija is also like changing her form. And this is around the time that Ben, who is, you know, putting on a cloak is kind of like literally says hubba hubba, you know. Yeah. Also, that's when Ben's like, that girl's a living doll, yeah. which is the funniest time to say it when, he, like, the comic's just been like, she's a shape changer. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it is an odd – I mean, again, there's a lot that's really weird about it, you know? And, uh, I mean, not least of which is, again, this thing of, like, I don't know. In any event, it sets a, it sets up a subplot, but that panel had me going, like, oh, God, no. But – 
We'll see. I how... want to. Yeah. I want to very quickly. This is not. We have talked before about DeFalco and Ryan set up ideas that they don't really do anything with. Yeah. There's a great element here that is not in the text. It's purely in. I'm bringing to it. Mm-hmm. There's something wonderful about Ben who is permanently stuck in his body, being in love with someone who can change their body into whatever shape they want. Oh, that's very lovely. Yeah, no, honestly, I I have to tell you, uh, hopefully we can fold this in. Uh, Later issues show Ben, in fact, just a few issues from now, we're going to have a romantic triangle cover with Lija and Ben and Johnny on it. And one of the things that is nice is as as creepy and semi skeevy that as I felt that this one panel is with Ben is that when it comes time to have DeFalco play off the stuff with Ben and Lija, it's like Lija is brokenhearted because she really is in love with Johnny. And Ben is attracted to the tragic side of her. And I think mm-hmm. that's also one of the things that's kind of lovely. It never really gets played out in the idea of um, Alicia as much as it should. But the idea that Ben can actually only fall in love with people who he feels sorry for because he can only really love himself when he feels sorry for himself is mm-hmm. kind of nice. And the scenes that play out with him and Elijah, he's actually far gentler and a lot. He seems creepy in the buildup. And then when they're interacting, he's actually gentle and sympathetic. That's really interesting character work, which again, I'm not sure is really there. Or we're bringing it to it. Yeah. I, I don't know. Cause like I said, I was expecting kind of some terrible stuff. I will also say that there's a lot to be said. Uh, and, and we'll talk about this. I think when we get to the last two issues of the fantastic four, where I think that, Like, as we hit the very end of volume one, I'm like, oh, you know, I feel like doomed romance is an important part of the Fantastic Four. Very much in this run. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I feel like, but all throughout, like it's Johnny spends just as much time pining for Crystal, you know, as they actually seem to spend together. Mm -hmm. You know, and and even when John, even when Ben is with Alicia, it's this idea of like they can't ever truly be together. And uh, Byrne goes to various lengths to play up part of that while trying to also make the characters kind of behave like grownups, which may may or may not work. But it it is interesting, even even some of the stuff of Sue pining for Reed, who's dead and refusing to give up on him while being tempted by the romance of somebody that she knows loves him, that she also cares for, which is Namor is it's kind of like that does get closer to a weirdly strong element of, of the fantastic four. Like it's to me, I realize how much the book doesn't work. If everyone is in a happy relationship, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I no, I, I think, I think you're right to an extent. Mm-hmm. I think definitely for this era, you're 100% right. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of that is DeFalco on some level knows that FF is a soap opera. Mm-hmm. But I'm also not sure he actually understands soap opera as anything other than doomed romance and like dramatic familial reveals. Right. 
Right. You know, so you get Nathaniel, you get, you know, future Franklin. Mm -hmm. You get, like, your wife isn't your wife. Right. Well, you even get somebody like Huntera, who's like, oh, you know, I'm I'm actually your aunt, you know. Uh, She's not. Shh. Oh, really? Okay, that's good. I'm glad to hear it because that's kind of where it's going. Fantastic Force walks that back. Oh, good. I'm I'm relieved to hear. Well, that. I walks it back in like the most hilarious way by basically going, Nathaniel Richards lies a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, yes, I see your point. And and honestly, again, of those two things, I think familial reveals are not necessarily terrible it makes sense to a comic book about a family and one where at least even stan and jack toyed with it at least once in the case of you know uh sue and johnny's dad showing up as the dude Hmm? whose name i can never remember infinity man infinity man infinite man i don't know the i something man that's not the impossible man uh and but yeah no there is something to me where i'm like oh yeah like Doomed romance kind of does work because it's a strange counterpoint. And again, to Jack Kirby kind of bringing this sort of classic pulp adventure stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. things that seem like something right out of E.E. Doc Smith, except the twist is such as it is, is, is that these people are all kind of. I don't know, you know, romantic failures in some ways, at least when it comes to Johnny and Ben. And then Reed and Sue are where the book always, um, you know, more or less stumbles and or, uh, you know, flails with one way or the other. So Also, I think it's worth pointing out that uh, Doomed Romance is a wonderful angst engine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and Lee... It, it, at his best, like his characters are very angst-ridden. Oh, angst-ridden and, so, and mostly about romance too. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. so, so, like, I think the two go very closely together in Lee's mind. Yes. So Kirby can present the, you know, the, the bombastic action and the the new characters and new concepts, mm-hmm. and Lee looking for a character engine mm-hmm. and, and and believing that angst sells, mm-hmm. like, can bring in the the doomed romance element. Yeah, and, and really milk that for all it's worth to the point where it does become part of the, the series DNA. The, where I where I disagree with you about this is, I think you're right that Byrne uses it. Lee and Kirby definitely do. DeFalco and Ryan definitely do. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure the other runs do. Well, it, you know, I mean, to an extent, you've got the Reed and Sue getting divorced right before the like in like the 170s or something. Sure, but you know, it's not really present in. There comes a point where like. Sue and Alicia are just a couple, and it's right. fine. Right. You know, and Johnny will have like a random girlfriend. Right. But but it's you know what is very turbulent. I think in the Lean Kirby issues settles down for a long time. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, or rather, I feel like until Byrne brings it back up, people toy with it. You know, you get someone like Thundra who shows up, and beats the hell out of Ben and then more or less falls in love with him. Like there's that point during the Thomas era where you more or less have three women or four women who are all kind of chasing after Ben in a reversal of, uh, yeah, he's a guy who can't, you know, who's, who's a monster who can't attract a regular woman. And suddenly all these women are more or less, you know, Tigra and Thundra and maybe a couple of other Ruz are competing for him, 
you know, it's it, it, it doesn't feel worth arguing about on our very last episode, that's for sure. But I do think that there's something where there are are elements here that even with the idea of Ben going back to be like, oh, I'm I'm attracted to the scroll woman who impersonated my girlfriend when she married my best friend seems like, let's face it, kind of insane. And yet the core of it, and again, I didn't think of it as much as it's it's in some of these scenes, but it's also in the very last scene between Johnny and Lija in either 416 or 415, where it's like they finally reconciled and just as they're about to be together, they're they're wrenched apart. You know? mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's that's such a classic. I mean, that's very much how Johnny's r- romances work uh, from Crystal to Nova. But it's but it's also just a very um, I had this thing of like, oh, right. In a way, this is something that's kind of been missing uh, the lovers who actually have feelings for each other and keep getting torn apart, like are literally on op- going to end up in opposite universes now, as opposed to, oh, I like him, but he doesn't like me, so I'll have to change my shape and seduce him as another woman, which, again, is interesting, but kind of just doesn't have the... It's it's not it's almost not FF enough if you know what I mean. Sure, yeah, I, I totally know what you mean. It's funny you you talking about, but that reminded me that I am I was missing one very dramatic Doom Dramant run during this mm. this series, Engelhart. Oh yeah, right, 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 right. Engel, Engelhart is is like his first, like he I think more than even Defalco ramps mm-hmm. up the soap opera means yes like fucked up romances. <laughs> Yes. element of the book completely completely the book is powered for during Engelhart's run by yeah essentially the ff in which all the partners are in are in fucked up romances dysfunctional romances and it takes us 50 months to realize that the ff is a romance book <laughs> you know i mean i guess we probably re- should have realized it sooner but but to be fair, it's it is one of those things where it's it it yeah it it feel it it feels right and it's weird that when it sort of starts coming back here, even as I start being like oh no I'm like oh no wait no this works and in a way I feel like the failed romance thing is might be precisely why Reed and Sue there's that kind of get them out of the book or don't have you can't have one in the book and have the other one in the book at the same time you know mm-hmm. Be, because mm-hmm. otherwise then the only where place you can sort of quote unquote go is and they went back to this well literally dozens of times is reed saying you stay here sue where you're safe and her being like don't tell me what to do you know i'm an equal yeah. member of this team like defalco breaks that out one more time in these issues and i'm just like Oh boy! Like I, I, right, exactly. But that, okay, we're we're not in the read reveal yet. Yes. We should get there. We're yeah, totally yeah, yeah. on this thing because you're right. But that that goes to that place that I want to talk about as well. Where we left off in this issue, there is the FFR in disguise as barbarian hotties and men in cloaks. That's really their two guises. <laughs> it's totally all true. the women are wearing that's nothing. All the men are wearing cloaks. Lots of clothes. Um, yeah. 
lots and lots of clothes. Yep. They are trying to get information, but of course it leads to a big fight because everyone recognizes the thing. Big surprise, he's an orange dude made out of rocks. <laughs> there aren't enough cloaks to disguise mm-hmm. that. As that fight is breaking out, we flash back to the future where uh, Tomorrow Man is planning to taunt Doom, only for Doom to go, oh, that's right, I can think straight again, and all of you forget that I can hypnotize people and take over their minds. Yeah, swap bodies which, with them. Which is a really nice callback, because I had forgotten. Yes. And I love that he's like, okay, now I'm just in Tomorrow Man's body, that's fine. Yep. I, I'm I'm going to really fuck shit up. I love that. I yep. genuinely do. And it's it all happens on a page. Again, the speed of these issues yes. is, is something I really appreciate. To the point where we cut back to Hyborian times. Let's yeah. say Hyborian times. Let's say. And the fight is over. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. in previous issues, that fight would have gone on for like six or seven pages. It's actually over. Yeah. And the FF escape by basically buying a dude's horse and cart yeah. and running off in it. There's so much going on and so quickly. That I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also have to say, I do love the panel, the close-up of Doom's eyes where Zarko gets hypnotized. Yeah. Really well done. Melodramatic as hell, but like just perfect and effective. I thought that that yes. was really great. Like Again, it's rare that you get something, it's concise, and it's effective. It's like, what comic book are we reading now? It's shocking. So it, no, it really is. This this mm-hmm. reads like a different comic. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Uh, like all, also fun. I love the shot of the FF on the card. Yes. Yeah. 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 No. I. There's I, yeah. just something fun about it. Yeah. Yep. Cut back to the present day Manhattan, where mm-hmm. Johnny Storm is like. I've been hanging around in Fantastic Force, but it's probably been cancelled or something by now, right? So, <laughs> you know, I should check in with the team. And he calls only to get Scott Lang and, and Cassie, who are watching TV and cooking, yeah. going, you won't believe where everyone else is off to. They're off to the future to find Reed. And he gets really upset. Which kind of makes sense in a way, you know. I love it. Yeah. You went after Reed to, without me, he yeah. says. Yeah. I, I, I genuinely love that. The FF back in potentially Hyborian times. Again, I don't know when that's actually supposed to be happening. Do you? Yes. No, I don't. And I did notice that uh, Cole gets called Andros or something at one point. So I'm the any any uh, shout out to him appears to be purely visual. It's not actually the character, which is fine. But yeah, basically olden times. Let's face it. Uh, I, I do want to say um, being after having been told in a bar that uh there's a strange hermit on the edge of town. Uh, they That's basically where they head out, and they actually find a primitive hydroelectric generator uh, you know, coming out of a cave. And let's face it, there is something like Namor accidentally sets off a trap complete with a bell that goes off in a cave with a mysterious figure. And, of course, the mysterious figure comes out, and it's Reed. His clothes are torn. He looks a mess. His hair is long. He's got a beard. He seems pretty crazy, which is kind of a fun idea. I'm still kind of bummed that DeFalco didn't put him on an island. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, once I saw the fucking hydroelectric generator made out of coconuts, I'm like, lean into this, you guys. You totally could have pulled off the awesome... Gilligan's Island professor tribute that that everyone would have loved but but no Reed's here he of course is does the classic like 
no, I won't be fooled. Not again, which uh, is a reference that doesn't pay off and is just basically like it's it's sort of a it's interesting. It's frustrating for me that by this point, DeFalco has spent so much time with like bar fights and barbarian fights and some understandable subplots that do move things forward that read fighting the FF takes three pages and he says the usual kind of bullshit of like you guys didn't do your research right like Kristoff wasn't a you know Namer doesn't have a ponytail and Lysia doesn't look like this and God knows that anything would change like God uh, but the thing that I also think is probably a blessed relief and yet a total cop out is Sue manages to convince Reed that she is really Sue by talking him down and essentially telling and, him... And we, and we don't hear it. And we don't hear it. And it's kind of bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you see, I, I really like that because I did not want to hear DeFalco's version of that No, I agree. I mean, and that's it. It's To me, it's kind of like, I guess it's good that he cheated this, but at the same time, it's like, if you're going to go this way like can't you come up with something else i don't know but anyway that's just me so, so something something i like that continues for the next few issues is i like the idea that reed is legitimately traumatized yes no 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 you know no, no, you no. You, mm-hmm. you say that devalco doesn't pay off the not again thing yeah i don't think he necessarily needs to yeah because there's a line of dialogue where he says, you people are good, real good, but you and Hypersarm should have paid more attention to your history. And that, for me, is enough to set up the idea that while we've not been watching, Hypersarm has just been fucking with him mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Right. And that's all. That's what's driven him to this point. Yeah. That it's not just he's been alone in the past. Because, mm-hmm. like, Reed could have handled that. Yeah. It's the hyperstorm has additionally been fucking with him, playing with his head. Well, that's true. I guess that's probably right. Because the part that DeFalco gets to, and it is it it is potent it is it's interesting and potentially could have been more interesting is oh, yes. that Reed is kind of broken. And the and I this is, you know, very on the nose. But he's literally stuck in the past while everyone else has had no choice but to move forward. And so he's out of sync with everyone kind of dramatically. Yeah, which, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Also nice is that as Reed and Sue are, are hugging, you cut to Ben Elijah. Mm-hmm. and Elijah. And Ben is basically grumbling and Elijah says, Benjamin J. Grimm, you're not fooling me, not for, uh, for an instant. I know exactly how you feel. And he goes, you do? Mm-hmm. And she's, of course, you're as choked up about Reed's return as the rest of us, but you're much too stubborn to show it. Mm-hmm. I love that for two reasons. One, Lysha's entirely right, mm-hmm. but she's also entirely wrong. Yes. When he says you do, yeah. he's utterly talking about the fact that he's got a crush on her. Yeah. But she also does a, a great reading of, of Ben. It's, mm-hmm. it's a really nice scene that works on two levels. Again, where did this comic come from? <laughs> Why haven't we been reading this comic for the last 50 years? Yeah, no kidding, right? You know? So, yeah, it's kind of strange that after this, after Elijah having been part of the book for this long, DeFalco really has a strong sense of what to do with her as a member of the team that isn't just, oh, here I am standing back and pining, you know? Mm-hmm. So, 
It's yeah. it's really it's really amazing. There is a one panel that sets up an issue of Fantastic Four Unlimited. Oh god. Which which is basically a, a wizard being like, Oh, there's there's other wizards here, I'll take care of them. Yeah. And then you cut back to um the FF and Reed's uh, going, you know, Reed's like, I've been here. Hypersom knew exactly what he was doing when he exiled me to this distant point in history. He said, it would take us countless years to produce the delicate secretary and sophisticated equipment needed to build a functional time machine. Mm-hmm. And then Christoph, again, proving that he's wonderful, is yes. like, oh, I brought a time machine with me. Yeah, right. Which, again, just makes sense. But yeah. it's like lampshading the melodrama of the previous line, which in, in you know, even two issues ago would have been the start of like a three issues arc yes absolutely absolutely yeah no it's it's like finally the the fact that the defalco is not does no longer can play for time uh that things are finally getting done and therefore shit is landing and it's it's actually enjoyable to have that happen. So last thing in the book before we move on is that Nathaniel is freed by the Tomorrow Man, who's really Doctor Doom. Doctor Doom, of course, did it to to use Nathaniel against the Hyperstorm. Yeah, but Nathaniel, completely oblivious, is like, "We must escape. This is this is terrible." The Hyperstorm is is just watching because, of course, he is being like, "Ha ha ha! You'll, <laughs> you'll never get away with it, Copper." Right. I, it just it's again this book is working in a way that has not done in the longest time mm-hmm. and i am simultaneously thrilled and angry that it has not worked for the longest time <laughs> and it's the same creative team yes isn't you know that what I mean? what's it's amazing like, yeah it's like you fuckers mm-hmm. it's not even like the artist has changed you, you know you can't be like well you know new artists brought a lot of dynamism to it no it's it's still the falcon ryan and they're just making a comic book that is much better yeah 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 no, it's really crazy. So, ha. Huh. Uh, yeah. Uh, four, God, what issue is it? 408 is, again, Strange Days on the cover and is called Unbeatable is My Foe. <laughs> Unbeatable is My Foe. Fuck yes. Also, I want to talk about the opening narration of this super quickly. Mm-hmm. Reed Richards is back. Mr. Fantastic has finally returned to the fabulous Fantastic Four. Presumed dead for many months, he had been captured by the mysterious Hyperstorm and exiled to the distant past. But now, even as he leaves his cageless prison by the time displacement actuator, which has been supplied by Christoph Bernard, the young apprentice of Doctor Doom, a look of deep concern scars his face. There's even something about that that is more exciting than this comic has been for the longest time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's... It is, again, there's concision that's there, you know? So, and it also helps kind of set the Something is happening. There's a, there is a dynamism. There's momentum. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there's momentum, and there's also, there's a big, big, uh, again, there's a lot that is being cut back. It helps that, again, uh, Reed looks a mess, and his haggard... Like the decision to even have the FF suit, his FF suit torn, like he has no gloves and there's holes in it. Like it's, he's basically hobo Reed Richards. It it does work. It is kind of, you realize how much Reed has been, um, is the guy who's like never lost his cool in all the goddamn issues right up until, you know, Doom more or less kills him or is about to kill him. 
And so there's something that is kind of smart about out of all the various changes that DeFalco has done with the characters. Here is a much more understandable and organic idea, which is that Mr. Fan that a guy which as people underline a guy who called himself Mr. Fantastic probably has a pretty high opinion of himself. So when you shatter that, like, what do you have left? And the the answer is um, somebody who's, at the very least, several steps behind everyone else that they're all kind of worried about. And also, he's it's very entertaining seeing him be... I, you know, I talked about him being broken, but, like, seeing him be petulant about it. He's yeah. not like, you know, I'm crying all the time. Like, he gets upset at Kristoff for not taking him to the lab yes. because the lab is where he can come up with what he needs to beat Hyperstorm. Mm -hmm. There is a sense of, like, he, he just needs to be in a safe space. Right. You know, like, there's something about that that's genuinely fascinating to me. Yeah. And, and they don't really do anything with it because it's not that kind of book. And honestly, I don't think DeFalco is that kind of writer. No, no. But again there's something really interesting they've come up with conceptually mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and which which is i love like the idea of of this of this reed richards being this this type of broken this type of broken and it also works because there is we haven't seen much of hyperstorm and honestly the whole like oh he's the baddest blabity blab like which is hard to believe and having someone like Reed Richards actually be like, no, you don't understand. We can't face him. No, no one can face him. We're all going to get our asses kicked. We have to get away is a it's it's a good twist because it is a little bit of a, this isn't a side of Reed that you've seen. And it's kind of like a he's broken, but B there's that idea of like, he should know much better than everyone else could. And because Reed Richards is, as we see him, almost always right, it does lend a little bit of a, uh, wow, this guy is dressed terribly, but maybe there is something to him. You well, know? I, and there, there's actually a, a great moment in this issue where, you know, Reed is, is, he says, like, it's suicide to proceed with their proper resources. And Sue points out something that it is, A, true, and be significant as the drama, which is if Hyperstorm really is as omnipotent as you believe, he already knows we're here. Yes, that is actually pretty great. I guess which is a great a great moment. And then mm -hmm. of course it cuts to him watching them and monologuing. You're like, oh right, he is. He like right. You know, she's right. He's he's totally right. Cut back to Nathaniel and and Tomorrow Man, who are of course not Tomorrow Man. He's really Doctor Doom, mm -hmm. fighting fighting lackeys. There's always lackeys. <laughs> like they're fighting lackeys and yeah. shooting them and then they, they ha discover a laboratory which you'd think would be one of the more protected rooms but apparently not because they just wander in and they're like we're fine let's go oh but uh, isn't that part of the thing is is that hyperstorm is letting them leading them there like the, part of the thing where they're like it's almost as if some unseen hand was, was directing no, sure, escape route. sure but again if you were dr doom for example mm -hmm. would you not be like there should be guards mm-hmm mm-hmm but well, I, you know, yeah. I, actually, I'm asking far too much. It's a one-page scene that basically gets them where they need to be. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, I, I really am asking far too much. It, actually, they they that page is so concise. Uh, DeFalco, for whatever reason, literally cuts away from the fight, like or or makes it seem like it's bigger than it is. It's like there's a mid-page 
transition of, and so exactly one firefight later, like, that's hilarious. Like, yeah, it's, it's honestly, like, again, remember when this book used to have fight scenes, mm-hmm. cut away from sort of for a subplot, and then cut back to the fight scene? Yes. Like, it's completely the opposite now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Like, you get, you you cut out the fight scene in the middle of the page and just have a caption being like, a one fight later. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Yep. Cut back to Johnny complaining to, to Ant-Man and, and, <laughs> and Cassie that, like, he's still a member of the Fantastic Four. He's totally not. He actually left the team. Yeah. Because he he's like, I'm still a member. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah. There is another horrific scene of Johnny calling Cassie's sweetheart and her literally looking at him with hearts coming out her head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind uh, of... I, I, it's terrible. Yeah. Thank God we don't actually see the the Fantastic Force didn't continue long enough for Lyja to leave. Uh, I mean, for Johnny to leave Lyja for Cassie halfway through the series, breaking both Lyja and Kristoff's heart, because that would have been gross. Or great. Cut back <laughs> to the Fantastic Four who are fighting their way through everything. Why not even fighting their way? They're sort of wandering through and because yeah. Reed is very upset that they're not there is no fight. But Sue starts giving orders and then gets really upset. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Reed, I guess I jumped the gun. You're the one who should be calling the shots. And Reed pouts on yes. the contract, Susan. You're doing a fine job of leading the team without me. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course then of course there is the fight. It's the destructoids. Yes. Heard rumors of these monsters while well as Hyperstorm's prisoner, said Reed. How? You were in the past. Yeah, who was talking about them to you, Reed? Like, it makes very little sense. Also, if he just heard rumors about these guys, which three pages earlier Nathaniel Richards more or less wets himself over, since these are the, the planet-destroying dudes that Zarko sees launched on these guys, what the fuck was Reed so upset about beforehand, if not these guys? Well, anyway... It doesn't really matter. But... Well, he's more upset. Anyway, as this fight is going on, it does go on for a couple of pages. Yeah. Um, Chris, Christoph runs off because he's like, I've, I've got to fucking go and find Dr. Doom. It's, it's really important. Yep. Cut back to Nathaniel and Tomorrow Man. Nathaniel is really upset that the Fantastic Four are fighting the Destructoids. <laughs> this is insane. These fools should be fleeing for their lives. Why did they ever return to this time period? He says. Yeah. Which is great. I love Nathaniel as A, comic relief, and B, ultimate coward yes oh er- everything that's great about nathaniel is yeah it, whenever he's precisely doing stuff like this it's just i mean and of course you know here's a little bit of his supposed heel turn where doom slash zarko is like look if you knew that he was hyperstorm's prisoner you why didn't you make any attempt to rescue him and nathaniel was like i i didn't possess enough power i i i couldn't but I was doing it, really. I was trying to do it. And I'm like, yeah, right. We and all... then sleeps again, which yeah. is great. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. He's like he's like, I don't don't you know, like don't stop me now. Like <laughs> no I'm kidding. Feet don't fail me. Yeah. <laughs> um cut back to the battle and the uh, Fantastic Four are joined by the human torch, yeah. which then immediately cuts away to Hyperstorm saying the torch has far less cause for celebration than he presently realizes. His unexpected arrival now forces me to take an active role in these festivities. And then there is a half page panel, understandably, of Sue Ben johnny and reed where sue says benjamin jacob grim you're not feeling anyone yield softy you're just as excited as the rest of us after far too long we finally managed to reunite the fantastic four 
that was the first time I'd realized that was true when yes. she said it. Right. And I was like, shit, it really has been like 30 issues or something. Yeah. It's been, it's been literally years, which is kind of. Yeah, it's of... been at least two years, mm-hmm. which, which is kind of nuts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the FF continued to fight and Nathaniel shows up and says, Sue, remember, you can tap into like cosmic energies to produce your, uh, your force fields. He walks her through doing it again and she manages to split all the Destructoids in two. Yeah. Reed is not happy with this, mm-hmm. which I kind of love. He's like, not not good. Yeah. No. Sure enough, not good. Hyperstorm then shows up and it, A, has an astounding pause when he shows up again. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's really great. Fascinatingly enough, he shoots at Sue, knocking her out. And Reed is so upset, he attacks Hyperstorm. That's right. Which yeah. I love. And I also love his dialogue when he does it. Mm-hmm. You cross the line, mister, nobody hurts my wife. Which sounds like old Reed. Yes. For for all of the traumatized Reed that I'm enjoying. Yeah. The fact that he sees Sue get hurt and immediately snaps into old Reed. Yes. Really yeah. works for me. I really I, like I do. it. It's a good moment. I have to say. It's a, it's a good moment. Yeah. Christoph is at, is at the castle. He is zapping everyone to go and free, free Doom, only to find out the Tomorrow Man is on the ground and Doom is putting his mask back on, having freed himself by, I guess, going back in as the Tomorrow Man and freeing Doom's body and then swapping bodies back. Yep. It doesn't really matter. The Fantastic Four are fighting Hyperstorm. It's not going well for them because Hyperstorm says, and I quote, the electromagnetic force which empowers mankind with electricity and magnetism, the strong nuclear force which soaks the stars, the gravitational force which shackles the galaxy. All of these various lines of energy emanate from hyperspace, and I am one with hyperspace. Yeah. It's a thing, I guess? You know, it's kind of... Remember there was one part when I got really appalled by how close some of the science was? Yes, exactly. It's... it's kind of close like it's sort of like tom defalco read something about super string theory and this is how he sort of interpreted <laughs> this it is how, this is how he understood it yeah yeah he's kind uh, of like oh this is a person who can therefore if you take someone who can like more or less manipulate the super strings and therefore has access to all of these the different types of forces that would be cool and He's half right. And again, it's there's a little bit of gibberish there, but I was like, I'm shocked by how close I can almost see actual science through the gibberish, precisely because Tom DeFalco has the worst scientific names of any writer of the Fantastic Four. Like, <laughs> all of the stuff that he uses. There was the one point where, like, Doom's brain was being scrambled by the, like, the deblabberizer or something horrible. Like, it's it's just the worst names ever but kind of i was like uh, but his concepts are not horrifically wrong which is kind of crazy yeah it shocks me really does shock me so two things two yes. things i want to point out in these final two pages one we've talked before about the long game that they're playing here in these four issues and how it actually pays off yeah look at the large panel where mm-hmm. hyperstar talking about one being one in hyperspace yeah look at the the flame pattern around his body yep 
Yep, and that, and also on the cover in a way, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. actually super subtle considering what you find out in the next issue. Yeah. That page also finishes with a very small panel along the bottom of the page where he declares that he truly controls the power supreme, which is echoed on the very next page by a panel the same size That's featuring right. the head in the same position where Doom says only Doctor Doom must wield the power supreme. I love that. Yeah. Yep. It's again, it might be an accent, but it's great. Oh, I it, it, I can't imagine that it is. You know, it really does feel like for the, again, as we keep saying over and over this issue, it's like, oh, these guys are actually paying attention again. Wow. Huh. Like I'll be damned. Why? Yeah. Exactly. Why? <laughs> well, considering it ends at 4:16, do you think that it's do you think it's like they they must know that this is I don't, I don't up? think they do I don't think they do mm-hmm. because in like two issues they create a subplot mm-hmm. that literally never gets paid off yeah no that's not true. It's true paid off in like a line of dialogue in the last issue yeah but literally a line of dialogue that's like you might be wondering what happened to the subplot yeah so yeah I don't think they I don't think they do know yet yeah it could be because there there's also a line of dialogue that Sue has in issue four fifteen that we'll get to that I was very much like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I have had 409 mm-hmm. Supreme be my power. Great title. Yep. Love that. It's called the power Supreme. And then the next episode is called Supreme be my, t- uh, be my power. <laughs> so great. Um, it's the final part of strange days, a story, which isn't really called strange days, unless you're only looking at the cover. Yep. Which is super weird. After declaring that he is the power supreme, the FF decide that the best way to deal with someone who has the power supreme is to punch him. <laughs> sure. uh, that doesn't work, unsurprisingly. And so Namor's attempt to punch him, also distracted by the fact that the power supreme means that with your eyes, you can make trees grow <laughs> around Namor. Yeah. Because why not? Yeah. One of the things that actually really sucks about. We talk about how well um, this book has improved over these last couple of issues, and they have, but but the best thing about <laughs> the fights, yeah, exactly. The best thing about the fights are merely that they're shorter, because it, the problem is, is that there are no stakes to them. Like, uh, DeFalco lays out in theory what Hyperstorm can do, and yet it doesn't really make any sense in the way that he fights or the way the FF fight him. Similarly, with the Destructoids, we're basically just told that they are terrifying, horrible, able to demolish anything. And the FF just punch them like they're robots and eventually Sue figures out a way to pull them apart. But there's no real sense, I feel, that any of the fights have any stakes because it's very much... Hyperstorm has it, you know, the ability to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, until you get the denouement. And that's kind of the case with the Destructoids uh, and kind of the case of everyone that, that the FF encounter in Hyperstorm's time is they basically just hit them and hit them and hit them. And then eventually someone breaks out the special thing that makes them go away. So Something that is, I think, entirely accidental and it's not in it, anyone who's making this book's mind mm-hmm. is there's actually something really fascinating about that mm. the idea that honestly reed is the big brain mm-hmm. and everyone else is just like well just fucking hit it yeah exactly like what is this 
punch it. Like mm-hmm. we we literally don't know what else to do. We'll punch it. And you need to read to be like, well, you can't. And again, I don't think this is intentional. Mm-hmm. But in the storyline, this kind of happens mm-hmm. because Reed is incapacitated. As the third page of this issue shows, mm-hmm. Sue has to explain to Reed, we need you to go and do something. We need you to think through this problem. We need you to invent something to solve this. Yes. Because Reed is just like, oh, shit. Fucking punch him, punch him, punch him, punch him. Keep him down, punch him. Yeah. And Sue has to say, no, you're the guy with the brains. We can't punch this out. Yeah. You have to invent. Like, you have to do your job. She even says that. Yeah. We all have jobs to do, mister. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's great. Like, I, I really like that. But again, I think it's not. I think what you're talking about and what I'm saying based on that is not what's on their mind. Hmm. I don't think they're intending to say the FF is a blunt instrument. Right. That Reed uses well. You know, I, yeah, it, I, I think you're right. Uh, weirdly enough, the thing that I feel is, is that despite the fact that I feel like DeFalco is like, Mr. Like not in touch with the kids. Maybe he really does understand if nothing, maybe he's playing a lot of video games because honestly, a lot of these are like video game boss battles where you've got an unstoppable bad guy and you basically have to just jump around and punch him and not die up until the point where you get the denouement that makes him flee to the other castle or whatever and then you get to collect your stuff or he in you know in Japanese video games he like does literally what hyperstorm ends up doing here and is kind of like okay you guys can go away now and just and just sends him back and it's like oh shit now we've got to train up and be ready to fight him again it's I, who knows who knows what it is i do like like you said the idea that reed just can't wrap his brain around the fact that people have changed like when sue's yelling out like do a delta four pattern and everybody knows what she's saying and runs off and reed is like what is that and sue is like it doesn't even matter it doesn't don't why are you fixated on that you know like create something save us you know and it's interesting in a way that DeFalco more or less flips what was happening in the previous issue where Reed's like, you've got to get me back to the lab. And everyone's like, no, we got to go punch him. And now that they're punching him, they're like, where the hell? Go to the lab, fix something. You know, I think that that's kind of funny, which to me does make it seem like it's unintentional. For me, what I just like is very much the idea that Reed doesn't fit in with the team and literally like the traditional pattern of the FF where Reed is supposed to go off and come up with the, the deus ex machina is like, he doesn't even know anymore. Like that yeah, doesn't even, yeah, he's, he's so rattled. Yeah. Cause there, there's later in this issue. So for all intents and purposes, the majority of this issue cuts between the FF basically trying to punch or like throw fireballs at higher yeah. unsuccessfully. And, Doctor Doom trying to build a machine with with Kristoff, but also while berating Kristoff, yeah, and essentially breaking Kristoff, yeah, by 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 saying like you're you're a failure, you're a failed experiment, yeah. Um, but there there's a scene later on in the book where after Sue has basically said go and fucking build something to read, mm-hmm. he hasn't, and he stands up for himself and says, you know, in case you've forgotten, I used to be this team leader. Maybe it's a responsibility I should reclaim. Yeah. And it takes Sue and Nathaniel to be like, 
fine, but not now. Right. Well, like, this is not the time. It's great. This is, you yeah. know, and he, he, he sort of, again, sort of sulks away. But, but I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that he, you know, he's, he's trying to like, he's trying to be the, the alpha male that he was. And, you know, we've yes. made jokes in this about how exactly. Reed is like the ultimate alpha male. And he tried to make it and basically everyone's like, no. Yes. No. <laughs> this and that's, is not the time. That might be why part of why we love these issues so much is you really do get this great payoff of him being like, you know, for in case you've forgotten, I used to be the team's leader. And Nathaniel Richards says this is not the time to act like a petulant child. Nathaniel Richards the cybernetic equivalent of a petulant child is the one who's actually saying that to read. And it does, it works. It's great. And there's kind of, uh, honestly, again, it's that thing of, I am sorry that these issues are wrapping up because I could have had petulant lack of confidence. Read hang out for like another year or two years. Yeah. You know, yes. Uh, yeah, it's 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 there's actually so much good stuff in this that it's genuinely shocking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, we're going to move through these super quickly, Jeff, because I was like, I'm holding us to ten minutes, and I have not held us to ten minutes. <laughs> I know, I know. Sorry. So, super quickly, Doom tries to steal Hyperstorm's power, Allah trying to steal the Silver Surfer's power. Yep. It is not successful. Yeah, and Hyperstorm goes to basically make him pay. Mm-hmm. It's not successful in part because, and this is another lovely callback, the machine is faulty. Yeah. And Reed knows this. Yes. And is not allowed by Doom to fix it. Yep. It's totally a flashback to the Doom's origin, which I love. Yep. Genuinely yep. love it. Also love that Nathaniel is appalled that Reed would help Doom. Yes. Which speaks to Nathaniel's idea that, like, you know, you look after number one. Yep. You, do, you won't help your enemies. Yeah. I love that. It ends badly for Doom. Not because Hyperstorm shows up and is about to kick his ass, but because Hyperstorm shows up and is about to kick his ass, and then Doom is sent back in time yeah. because Kristoff has made a deal with the Tomorrow Man. Yes. Which I love, and Doom hates. Mm-hmm. It must not end. Not now, not like this, while Hyperstorm laughs. Ha ha ha. Yeah. I love that. Yep. Yep. What I love much less is the actual end of the storyline well yes which is hyperstorm heals ben's face mm-hmm. just because he can mm-hmm. and then sends everyone away just because he can mm-hmm. there is no reason for this to happen at all yes yeah at all it literally makes no sense yep you know defalco tries to sell it mm-hmm. basically as i did this to mess with your heads and now you understand how powerful i am mm-hmm. there's no reason for it to happen yeah it's strangest most artificial moment well because it is it's defalco what what's so disappointing about it and why you don't like it is it is defalco returning to his old tricks it is defalco being like oh this is this whole thing that I was leading to all along, and now I'm going to drag it out again. You know, kind of like that whole weird thing of like, why are the FF crying on these statues? We'll find out when Galactus kills them. Or will we? We won't. Or shall we? Like, I don't even know if that even got resolved. And it's classic to Falco that he's like, okay, here's the big moment of showdown, but rather than actually having, pulling pulling the big 
denouement out of this. I'm just going to be like, okay, you guys are going away. It it almost the thing that I think is interesting is is there's a way once you do find out Hyperstorm's origin slash identity, you can almost kind of go with it, but but without knowing that it's bad. Also, yeah, the thing that is a shame is as soon as uh as soon as Ben gets his face healed. I don't remember which one of our commenters on the threads mentioned it, but it's absolutely right. Paul Ryan can't draw Ben's regular face, which is part of why he had to do the fucked up scarred face. Because now that Ben's normal again, he look he he looks like he's barely on brand. So mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of a shame. Kind of a, the the ending is a rap uh, of a rap is terrible and especially galling because. Because DeFalco is, is I would say, and this is kind of heretical, I think he's one of the best writers of the of the Reed Richards Doctor Doom relationship. I really do. We we were saying that before. We were yeah. saying that when, when before they get killed off. Like mm-hmm. the two of the, he does the two of them really well. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a shame because you've had like essentially four issues of greatness. Mm-hmm. And and I I I'm not even being sarcastic. I think those four issues are four or six through four or nine. Are are for the most part like really great, and then the end of four nine eight one hundred percent in yep. the last four pages is just like ah oh, fuck it, right, right, yep, yep. It's yep. such a shame. Yeah. Um, the last two pages of the book are really uh everyone shows up in the fourth region plaza again. You get a quasi cute scene where Cassie's upset because she can't see Kristoff, and then she sees him in the armor and is is freaked out by it, which is great. Again. It's the it's the doomed romance angle. I'm like, even though it's taking place uh, between two 11 year olds, one of whom is drawn like a six year old, there's still that element of 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 Cassie suddenly, who's so into Kristoff, being completely weirded out and turned off by him. Uh, yeah, you know, and and I I love that. I kind of get that Scott, you know, is kind of doing his whole like, ha, huh, whew. I'm relieved that that's the case, but there's, you know, it, it sets up a bunch of, of good stuff. I got to say, again, it's, 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 it's kind of a moment that I simultaneously uh, shudder looking at. Cause again, it's just, Cassie looks basically like a fetus with pants. And, uh, but I also am like, I like, I like how much it's like, oh yeah, this is, no one's ever going to fully get what they want, and that's part of DeFalco realizes that that's kind of part of what powers the FF in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you talk about Doomed Romance because I mean, look at the cover of Four Ten. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, which is which is one hundred percent a romance book. Mm-hmm. Elijah looking uncertain mm-hmm. with behind her. Johnny has roses and Ben has chocolates and they've got their backs to each other looking suspiciously at each other <laughs> and says like an explode sorry loves explosive triangle yeah yeah you know it's it's it really is like this is a fucking romance comic mhm mhm yeah and and there's a level in which part of me is I got to say I looked at that cover and even though I think that it's kind of a mistake it's it's kind of not very in character with Ben as an actual character to to be playing to be in this part of me yeah, is like to be in that role yeah yeah I, at the same time I was like oh this is great I'm really going to look forward to reading this you know 
So. Yeah, because it's it's, it's keying in on a, an element that you, for a while now, mm-hmm. have really been enjoying, and I have grown to enjoy, mm-hmm. which is like the 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 romance comic element of, of Fantastic Four. Yeah. You know, and to be honest, the story does not live up to that. No, it's a shame. It really, really doesn't. In fact, this issue is kind of interesting to me in that it is it's it's almost all subplot. There is yes, it's all filler. Yeah, all filler, no killer. Um, uh, I mean, is it worth really talking about the subplots? It, it's okay. So it it's not worth doing like a proper plot summary per se no but what what you find out in this issue is hyperstorm has not left any like psychic traps in reed's brain which i didn't even think was a possibility but i guess i'm glad that they start the issue off by spending time telling you that yeah yeah Mm -hmm. reed however is quite clearly still not himself and you get a nice scene of franklin and sue and namer discussing this Mm -hmm. we do find out that christoph is no longer able to travel through time because, as Nathaniel puts it, Hyperstorm was basically letting them do it before, mm-hmm. and now he doesn't want them to do it, which is nice. Yeah. Rita's meltdown at Nathaniel for basically not telling them everything, which is fair. Mm-hmm. And once again, Reed gets called a kid, this time by his son. <laughs> you and Dad were fighting like children, he yeah. says to Nathaniel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something really nice about that. Mm-hmm. You get rediscovering that Ben is, is now able to transform to human or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, he transformed because he's going to try and date Elijah, but that's not going to work out because Elijah's going on a date as Laura Green, mm-hmm. the non-entity blonde woman <laughs> um, <laughs> with Johnny. And, and so, like, they have the date. What's the, Oh, the other thing is, of course, the Kristoff and Cassie subplot, which is, this is the point where I was like, oh, Falco didn't know this book was being cancelled when it was cancelled. Oh yeah, because this issue spends a lot of time setting up a plot, subplot that literally get ha- gets paid off off panel and then referred to in the last issue. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Also, one of the things I'm sure you caught this, Graham, but I love the fact that uh, in in an attempt to like uh, let Defalco know, you know, let everyone know that he's aware that of what the kids are into um the ridiculously uh, uh backwards hat short pants wearing uh Donald Donald Donald. Donald Hallberg not Wahlberg but Hallberg so entirely different yeah he is but he is a new kid on the block so there's that he is a new kid on the block it's just thanks to the miracle of Paul Ryan, he's drawn like uh, the third banana in a a newspaper comic strip about kids that got canceled back in like 1964. So it's great. The page where where uh, we won't read it because we really do have to keep moving these along. But let me tell you, if you if people. If there's ever a point in your life where you're kind of like, what would it feel like to hit my brain with a hammer? Is like, go read the page of dialogue between the hip dialogue between Cassie and Don Donald. It's Donnie, Donnie Hallberg. It's the best. 
It really is the best. Uh, other highlights in the issue? Wait, 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 wait. We should actually say what the subplot is that they set up. The subplot is not just there's a love triangle between Kristoff, yes. who, by the way, can't play soccer. This is established as canon. Yes, <laughs> I love that. Kristoff can't play soccer between Kristoff, uh, Don, slash Donnie, slash Donald, Trump, Holbrook, yep. and Cassie. But it's that Donnie is, is being abused by his, his parents. Yes. Uh, he falls over and Cassie sees his back and it's covered in scars and bruises and she points that out and he freaks out and runs away. Yeah. This is quite clearly a subplot that DeValco plans to play out over a long time. Yes. Especially because it comes up in dialogue in future issues, mm -hmm. but it never pays off. Yep. Yep. Um, anyway, sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, uh, apart from, you know, the, the nothing... <clears throat> nothing that happens in, on the cover takes place in the comic. As you point out, Ben goes to try and uh, ask out Lysha when he sees Johnny go off to date Laura Green. And he, you know, Ben's like, ha ha ha, this leaves me more time to, to flirt with Lysha, which is kind of funny because he doesn't know that Lysha is leaving to go turn into Laura Green to date Johnny. Um, but it's all so that cover event, which never even comes close to happening, like is then left with like the subplots Reed fights with Nathaniel. You get to see Ben turning back and basically Reed seeing how much everyone's changed the little beginning subplot with, uh, with Cassie, um, the new kid on the block and, uh, Christoph, you get to see, uh, Namer throw a barbell at Sue, which is his idea of foreplay. Um, Reed sees them like tussling in the faux danger room and being like, well, let's face it. Everyone thought I was dead. Maybe, maybe I, maybe I'm better. Maybe it'd be better if I never came back. Uh, Laura's dating Johnny for a page. Again, nothing very exciting, uh, really happens. Uh, there's a mysterious figure in a trench coat shambling around because of course there is. How many times have we seen mysterious figures in trench coats in this comic who get into the Four Freedoms Plaza? Seriously. No kidding. So I, I love that Kristoff makes a point to remember his own history. Uh, and again, um, you know, DeFalco, thank God, has not forgotten Nathaniel Richards' time fucker because uh, there's a mysterious stranger, an injured traveler who we only see in profile who's got some sort of, you know, ratty-ass goatee, who is uh, Christoph's mystery dad. Um, that's still in play. I love that that was still in play. It's a shame that it's never going to go anywhere. S because, unfortunately, they have to make time for uh, Gorgon of the Inhumans, who has a great need of the Fantastic Four. Black Bolt has gone mad and intends to destroy us all. Uh, that leads to 411, which is called Black Bolt, Berserk, <laughs> and Jeff. Yeah. Did someone lose a bet for this issue? I have no idea. This issue sucks so bad. It's so... Okay, so the A plot, which I really want to spend as little time on as humanly possible, yeah. is literally the explanation. Black Bolt has gone berserk. <laughs> He has got. He sees everyone as essentially like scrolls, I guess. Yeah. And 
and so fights them all because he also sees himself as like a kid mm-hmm. but really he's like blackballed and he's fighting the other inhumans and uh, and the ff yeah it's it, it also like do you remember why he's gone insane because it's my favorite thing i i don't i don't he's gone insane because the fork the tuning fork on his head has been damaged oh that's right it got broken or something some... yeah yeah he's literally blackball just gone insane because his tuning fork is damaged <laughs> which is just like again have we lost a bet because that is like a bad joke that's legitimately like a bad joke all you really need to know is that they have a fight and everyone gets hurt in the fight black bolt accidentally destroys a dam and sue has to hold back the dam with her her force shield she does so but she collapses at the last moment she gets washed away with the water except she doesn't because neighbor saves her the end that's that's the a plot you really are missing nothing there's not even anything of interest in in the uh, the exploration of that, yeah, like it, it's an astonishingly dull comic, especially coming after the last few issues. Mm-hmm. I, again, I would argue that it's actually better than the, the issues we've been doing up until this this episode, because if nothing else, it's over relatively quickly. But it's I like what the hell is happening here? I don't understand. Yeah, like unless they have to use the the humans for some reason, it makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, two I, things. Yeah, sorry, on you go. No, 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 no. Please, you go. I was going to say two things are interesting, and they're both subplots. One, Elijah and Nathaniel Richards in, for some reason, overalls, um, <laughs> collecting the transmat receptors that Nathaniel has hidden in for his yes. so he can port in. I love that. That is great. I think it's hilarious uh and thing number two is you get a page advancing the donny plot mm-hmm. now he's ditching school yep. because he's so embarrassed about his back and the scars on it and christoph basically says we will confront him and we will make him admit it so defalco clearly is intending to set this up as a long-running plot yep right mm-hmm. you've had multiple pages over two issues mm-hmm. and for various reasons, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Yep. Which is, which is a shame, but it's also, to me, kind of deeply amusing, you know? Because I kind of feel like uh, part 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 of what, what cracks me up about it is I think it would be wonderful to have an, an episode that, you know, because it's very much leading into those sorts of, like, uh, you know a serious issue about child abuse except the idea that Kristoff who just can't understand this I mean you know where this is going should go and it's just as well that it never arrives there that they're that they don't really bother to to pay this off or they run out of time and can't but there is a way in which part of me is like I would kind of love to see an issue in which Kristoff tries to deal with this stuff and of course his whole idea is like I'm launching the dad into the negative zone. Isn't that what you right. do? Yeah. Exactly. You know, yeah. like there is, it sounds terrible, but there's a lot of potential for fun here. Yeah, there and, really and is. We, just, we, we don't get it, but there mm-hmm. is genuinely a lot of potential for fun here. Yeah. And it, it never happens. 412 is called Settling the Score with the Submariner, but it should actually be called Tom DeFalco Realizes He Only Has a Few Issues Left of This Comic. Yeah. Or, you know what? It could also be called Toxic Masculinity. <laughs> 
<laughs> it is true. It is true. I I have to say that there is a very good case to be made for 412 being a genuine mistake because... Oh, there's all manner. There's one good thing about 412, and that is after episodes, sorry, after issues of the thing referencing ER, mm-hmm. uh, the doctor shows up and he's Doc Clooney. That's it. <laughs> That's the only good thing about 412. That's not true. There is also Ben being kind to Elijah. There's Ben being kind to Elijah in the end of the scene. So, of course, there's this whole, like, Reed and Namer and Namer being like, you know, it is being, let's face it, it is always tough to tell with Namer how much he is um, self-aware. Self, Yeah, how much is he self-aware and also to what extent how much of his, like, inappropriateness is supposed to be inappropriate and how much of it is supposed to be like kind of scary date rapey because he sort of more or less confesses his love for Sue, which more or less makes sense. But when she's like, no, he's like, okay, I'm fuck it. You're coming away with me. This is bullshit. Reed perhaps understandably as like the last time that someone, you know, is threatening to hurt his wife, uh, does a super punch that knocks Namor out of the building, but this time he follows up with a, you know, okay, fuck this. I He went over the line today, and he's going to pay. I also did actually like the part where Sue tries to minimize it, and, and Reed's like, I'm not blind. Don't defend him. I know exactly how he feels about you, which I think is kind of, like, in a way, part of me is like, I just appreciate there was something that is genuinely married couple where someone's like, I'm trying to minimize this whole issue because I don't want you to blow it out of proportion. And he's like, just don't bullshit me. You know? Like, I... I I, I actually really like that scene mm-hmm. because it speaks to Reed being traumatized, which theoretically is what the story is about. Spoilers. Yes. But... What I don't like is like where the story goes from there. Not only do I not like where it goes, because ultimately what happens, I don't, I, the trip is boring because honestly, again, I don't think the, I don't think the fight scenes are particularly Paul Ryan's thing. It's really a pretty dull, like I kind of like when Mr. It's a very long fight. It's long. It's it's, it's literally like maybe two thirds of the issue long. Yeah. It just, Every time you turn around, it cuts back to a terrible page of them fighting. And again, I remember some of the scenes like back around like the issue 200, where it's like the second half of it is uh, Mr. Fantastic flying into Latveria himself and fighting Dr. Doom. And it's one on one. And it's Keith Pollard inked by Joe Sinnott. And they are just lifting every cool ass thing that Reed Richards has ever done stretching wise, including making his hand into a giant spiked mace and stuff. This is supposed to literally be that, but they, it's really dull. It's just, it's just, it's not interesting. It's not exciting. Um, Well, it's not only not interesting, not exciting, but I legitimately do not like the idea that a Reed like loses control. Yeah, like really is all out to hurt, if not like kill Namor mm-hmm. at one mm-hmm. point, and to the end, which is essentially Namor being like, ha, "I was only joking to snap him out of his funk." Right. 
and that it worked by the rules of the story. Yes. You know, like that. I, I hate that. I hate yeah. that about this issue. I, I do too. I do too. Again, the only thing I really like is Elijah being kind of the character that gets along with everyone and kind yes. of the most I, empathetic with everyone. Yes, which is great and ties back to her scene earlier with, with the thing in, in like 407 or 409, yes. mm-hmm. you know? But it's not like the rest of the book is, is I mean, it's genuinely toxic. Yeah, like it. It. it this, the lesson of this story is Reed would never have snapped out of his trauma if I didn't move in and his woman. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because the only thing that can really teach you what it's like to be a man is battling back another challenger for your woman. That yeah. sucks. And the other thing that also sucks about it is I would say issues four thirteen and four fourteen where. The showdown uh, with Hyperstorm, where essentially Reed is like, I've got a plan. It's going to work. It's got to work. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? Or or is that real? I guess that's only really 414. It's now, 414. Right? Yeah. Jesus. 413 is. Yeah. It's it's weird. Wait, do you want to actually move on to th- 413 or are you, are you still uh, on 412? I will. Let, let me just say what I don't like about 412 is it totally ends up undercutting 414. Because the the four fourteen's drama really draws from the idea of does Reed know what he's talking about, or is he just so desperate to prove himself that he is going to doom everyone? And you know, of course, surprise, spoilers. Um, he knows what he's doing, and but and and is more or less the old Reed again. But because of four twelve, like. That's not a surprise. Like, in a way, arguably, it's not a surprise because this is, you know, the Fantastic Four, and eventually you're going to have that. But it's really not a surprise here. And it's, and I think that's because DeFalco basically gives the game away too much. You know, his toxic masculinity issue is like, no, Reed's, you know, stood up for his position. And so, of course, he's going to have the confidence and power to do what's right now, you know, which is A, gross, but B, it really does undercut the future drama of of the issue that that is totally supposed to revolve around how much can we trust Reed which the previous issues had done a great job of of making you unsure about. So, yeah. Well, okay. Let, let's move on super quickly to four four thirteen. Good lord, which is like a genuinely surreal story. Yeah. Which is, I guess, a crossover with Doom twenty ninety nine. Yeah, you know. Although they don't tell you the issue that it ties into until like page seven or something. Like it's way into the story. Like the first Doom's. Doom 2099's recap page where, come on, guys, give us an issue. It doesn't pop up. And I literally like, are they spinning this out of whole cloth? Where is this coming from? Well, that's that's what I wondered when I was reading it. But what I was going to say is, you know, you talked about, like, he's old Reed again. Mm-hmm. And you get to, like, page three of 413. And yeah. he's literally old Reed. Yeah. He's cut his hair. He's, he's, he's shaved off the beard. Yep. You know, and it's like he's 100% become old Reed, mm-hmm. which, is, which is a problem. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, if you want 414 to land, mm-hmm. then you've made that change too early. Yep. I think so as well. Completely a mistake. You know, like, it, it, it's a shame because, again, you know, 46 through 49 were great. Mm-hmm. 
And A, I don't know why they were great out of, you know, after 50 issues of not great, but also why were they great? And then the book starts backsliding super quickly again. Yep. Yep. Is it literally just that they were super excited to get to Doom and Reed again? Mm-hmm. It, may, it may have been. But then, you know, bringing Doom back also brings us this issue, which is, I mean, so strange. So strange. You have Doom 2099 has come to the present day for, a, a, you know, a, a mysterious mission. Mm-hmm. You have Doom has now teamed up with Namor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Out of nowhere, after Namor appeared to leave the book in the last issue, yes. and to all purposes may well have left the book for all he contributes to this issue. You know, it's mixed with yeah. a, a, an operation that Reed and Teenage Franklin do on Black Bolt, which kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere, even though it's literally playing off a uh, paying off the plot for two issues ago. Yep. But has so little drama in there, mm-hmm. and it's two pages. But there's so little drama in there yeah. that it feels like a waste of time, Completely. you know. And then while the Doom Twenty Nine thing is uh, Twenty Ninety Nine thing is going on, Reed, who was traumatized up until last issue, is then like, "I am once again now for male to prove it. I'm going to go into the negative zone. Yeah, on my own. No one else can come with me because I want to hang out with the Silver Surfer." Yep. Yep. It's just all over the place. Yeah. No, this is supposed to be the return of old Reed. Uh, and again, it gives away too much of the game. I find it's fascinating to me that as, again, going all the way back through this, because I hadn't read so many of the original Kirby and Lee issues, is you know Graham and the listeners and I've bored everyone about this this weird idea that the negative zone it being a a place of reads reads shadow self reads reads shadow opposite but a way in which he more or less goes into it and it's always going to be this thing that kills him but he always more or less comes out stronger and comes out more himself usually after facing a shadow self version of him, like there's part of me that's kind of like, I'm a little weirded out by how Jungian it is. Cause it never seems as if anyone's really consciously doing it or consciously paying attention to it. But here is, this is as much as Reed being able to stick up for Sue, his property in the previous issue, the idea that Reed has to go, of course, by himself into, you know, uh, to use the Empire Strikes Back shortcut, into the little cave on D- Dagobah, which is the fucking forbidden zone, uh, the negative zone, in order to be that much more healed so that he can beat Hyperstorm. Like, there's a bunch of other plot reasons, but that's the part that seems to really weirdly makes sense and has been strangely consistent throughout the book um, under all these different writers, which is kind of weird to me anyway. But here's the thing. Like he, I, what you're describing makes more sense to me than what's in the comic Mm -hmm. because in the negative zone this time, he just talks to silver surfer. Yeah. Like the, the moment of drama is, Oh no, his line isn't working to come back. Right. And so Franklin has to try really hard mm-hmm. off panel mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 false jeopardy. It's yeah. it's non-existent. Absolutely. And they try and play it up as a big deal, but mm-hmm. it's not dramatic at all. Yep. We have seen Reed survive far worse. It is utterly non-dramatic. Yep. So the idea that he's facing a shadow self falls down for me because he just doesn't. Well, like he, he meets the silver server who's not a shadow self. Well, see, that's it. I sort of wonder if, to the extent that that the that the formula is swapped, instead of instead of find, finding his shadow self, that the 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 negative zone is is his shadow self essentially. That all the other little manifestations of it are with the, that I've seen, where it, you know, where it's the evil scientist who's like grabbed Ben's body, whether it's, you know, um, what's his name with the Annihilus, whoever it particularly happens to be in this issue, it's kind of like, oh, it's, it's how, how Reed quote unquote gets in touch with the crossroads of infinity. And it's how he meets the silver surfer, which is, you know, in the Stanley short term, our better self, you know, he basically Mm -hmm. meets space Jesus and the only way it can do that is by going into the zone. And of course, the whole point supposedly being is, is that space Jesus tells him that God is dead and therefore there's going to be, uh, sorry. And by God, I mean, Galactus slash God. Uh, and Reed is like, okay, well, we're kind of fucked because that but was he is, like, he says that and then he comes back and he's like, but I've worked out how to beat the hyperstorm. Yeah. Exactly. I know. And which, which, is, which is the funniest thing. Yep. Okay, so there's before we get to the climax of this issue, move on. Yeah. Do you find anything interesting about the Doom twenty nine portion? I mean, forget the fact that it's literally not a story. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not. There's there's no like you see Doom twenty nine wander around, you see him kind of get in a fight which isn't really a fight with Ben, Johnny and and the humans. Mm-hmm. But that essentially again happens off panel. There's there's nothing there. No. Like he jumps out of the Baxter building and he gets zapped by Doom and Namer and right. then they fly off. Right. And again, the FF isn't bothered. Mm-hmm. No. They're like, oh that was weird. Yes. Like, it's it's the weird it's it's honestly like yeah. a red sky crossover. Yes. Like uh, for its own comic. Yeah. For for Doom twenty ninety nine, no, it it has no interest to me other than I kind of because I think that Defalco writes a pretty good Doom. Doom twenty ninety nine is kind of this character where I'm sort of like, oh, because his whole thing is is that no one understands that what he's really trying to do is save his people. Like it's it's more or less the plot of Star Trek four, the Voyage Home, except instead of whales, it's like peach pits or some fucked up thing and and doom is like i have to save my people by coming into the past and everyone's like you know what? we're just going to beat the shit out of you i it's 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 literally a waste of pages but i do find myself being like huh i uh i wonder if i should hunt up those issues of uh doom 2099 somehow because um part of me is like i even though i know a night a comic with Doctor Doom as the main character won't work. Maybe it did, you know. So well, that's all. Don't forget that's the book that brought uh, Warren Ellis to, to Marvel. It's it's the book that ha- that started off with Pat Mills scripting it, isn't it? Or was no, that I a different twenty? The Ravage. I think, I, yeah, okay. I think that's Ravage Whoa. or twenty nine nine or something. That's right. I mean, yeah. maybe it does work, but it's it's like if this was an intent, if this was intended to bring people to read Doom twenty ninety nine. No. Nope. Yeah. 
I have no idea what they were thinking. It really does just like this was something that was on somebody's dry erase board that everyone forgot about. And then it was like, oh, remember we were supposed to do oh, no, that it, thing. Here's the thing. It literally is because in a letters column, maybe in like 47 or 408, uh-huh. actually tease it. No. They really? actually say there's a Doom 2099 crossover next year. Wow. Well, shows you what... <laughs> I'm sure everyone was like, well, that turned out as bad as well. No, the really the only thing going on in the issue, frankly, is the last two pages for the most part, mm-hmm. which is, yep. you know, uh, kind of a really fun idea where Hyperstorm's like, okay, fuck this. A time platform goes and grabs uh, Franklin just as Nathaniel kidnapped him. Um, he appears, he reappears a second later, takes his hat off on the armor, and... He's a kid again, and huh? Dun dun dun! Yeah, Le- leading into four one four. Yes, family business exclamation point. <laughs> where it's it's hilarious. Sue is really happy to see Kid Franklin again. Yes, and no one else is. Yeah, and everyone seems to think it's Nathaniel's fault. Yeah, yeah, which is great. Which makes sense because he was behind it, and of course he's like, no, no, the first time, and he's like, no, 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 this isn't me. This is. This is this is fucking Hyperstorm. He somehow and he explains the origin of Hyperstorm. Yeah, and explains what the whole thing has been about all along. Yes, which is when Nathaniel was time traveling, he saw many multiple futures in one future, namely the days of future past future. Mm-hmm. Phoenix and Franklin Richards get together, and they have a kid, and the kid is Hyperstorm. Yep, and the kids basically has oh i guess it's i guess it's similar to the days of future past future considering you know everyone dies in that one yeah <laughs> yes it's it's similar enough where they have a kid that kid is hyperstorm and then that kid becomes a despot of that timeline yes slash all the other timelines yep yeah because he's now going and taking over all of them and you know i i again like you said the, the the when you look back a couple of issues on the cover and in the interiors you realize that that hyperstorm's really ugly outfit has phoenix motifs on it you see the phoenix effect or a variation thereof behind him and the yeah, idea they, been, they have been laying this groundwork yeah exactly and the and the fact is is that there is the uh, when franklin gets swiped way back when I want to say there's another shout out to the days of future past, you know? So it, it, it lands. It's an origin where he's finally like, okay, it's time to tell you what this is. It kind of makes sense because everyone who's been dealing with Hyperstorm and is like, why the fuck are you so familiar? And him being like, you guys, I've heard so much about you, but I will totally fuck up your shit because I was raised in shit and I refuse to, I'm going to save everyone slash with my own inimitable mad lust for power is the FF's grandson. Like you said, there's only two, there's doomed romance and there's familial reveals and in the FF. And this is a, it's to me, I was like, that works. That kind yeah, right? of works. It, yeah. it, it actually does work. Yeah. Also, there's a really nice moment where Nathaniel is explaining like why he's been freaking out all along. Yeah. And DeFalco does something that is actually really fucking great. Yes. Which is Nathaniel says, in every timeline, you guys disappear. Yep. And so it has to be Hyperstorm. Yep. 
he doesn't say it is hypersorum. He says, you guys disappear from reality. I can only conclude that you're all destroyed by hypersorum. Mm-hmm. We know as people from reading it in the, like reading these comics in the future mm-hmm. that it's actually a hero's reborn onslaught reference. That's right. Mm-hmm. Which is really, really fucking smart. I really appreciated that when it happened. Oh, me too. When he says that, I thought that was actually pretty great. So, ah, yeah, no, and he's, and it's, it's, and then again, you've got Frank, uh, Nathaniel being his like, no, no, don't you see? I like recheck the timelines. You guys are still fated to die. Like you can't try and, you know, basically, you know, Nathaniel being Nathaniel is like, just escape, just give up. It's not going to work, you know? And of course they're all like, we're the fantastic four. We're not going to settle for that we're going to make it work so uh there's actually because defalco's like busting his ass there's there's johnny being like well okay i gotta go say goodbye to my girl and you know essentially the the subplot of ben finds Elijah pretending to be laura green and him being like oh my god i've totally have the power to destroy their relationship because, but I can't, you know, ba- basically. Yeah, in, in, instead, he's very, instead, he, he understands. Yeah. And he, he comforts Lija. Yeah. When she, when he confronts her. Which is, which is a nice moment. It's a, it's a really nice little thing. The other page where, where Reed's like, ah, ha, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm putting gas in the tank. And Sue's like, I know what you can put in my tank. Come here. Which is um, a little weird. Again, I'm like, I gotta say. I was like, I could have done without that moment. <laughs> so, but but that comes at the end of a scene, which I do like, which is essentially Sue saying, "I know you think you've got to take care of this on your own, but you you don't get to." Oh yeah, that's right. I, like I I led this team when you weren't here. I am part of this team. We are all a team. We're all fucking going to take care of this. Yeah, you didn't get to go off and do something that I totally forgot about that. Because in a way, part of me is like, I'm glad you like that moment, but it is one of those like. Reed literally pulling besides your places here with our son is a, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's maybe that's part of the it's, point. It's, it, no, it's, it's very tone deaf, it's, you know, and, and, and I, I don't think it's part of the point in so much as I think it has to be something that will provoke Sue out of her supporting Reed thing. It could like be. He's, right. he, says some, he says something so bad right. that she's like, dude, I was willing to, to like hold my tongue for so long, mm-hmm. but fuck you. Well, maybe, but then she's like, and literally, fuck you. You know, like, I'm, I, I think the scene, if it, there was more space and there wasn't enough other stuff going on, maybe it could have worked of this idea that Reed is... Like if we're if that sort of comment is something that we're supposed to make Reed not trust him, like he's over, the idea I would like to think is, oh, Reed's overcompensating. He says he's got this plan, but like maybe he doesn't seem to be able to articulate. Yeah, he, totally, he totally doesn't. He totally doesn't have this plan. Yeah. You know, and and you can see it because after everything that he's seen with Sue, he's still pulling the same old bullshit as if he's more or less just faking it. You know, and the idea of Reed faking it would be kind of is how the the issue is supposed to read. But because they were working on it too goddamn fast and there was too much other stuff happening, it just doesn't come off. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. kind of there's I I sort of like the moment with like Ben and Johnny, even though there's really not much of a reason to have it other than they've got to get it in there somewhere. We have to talk the last subplot, which is Johnny and Laura Green go on a date. Oh, Johnny yes. kisses Laura goodbye. That's and right. is freaked out by it and flies off. That's okay. Right. Now we now we can get to the fact that the Fantastic Four are on their mission. They go to subspace. Thank you. They all get there. Reed decides that he has to explain what the plan is. He's basically going to do this whole deal by he's like, I'm trying to open up. Uh, 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 a thing to a parallel dimension because I think Galactus is still alive. All we have to do is track down the proper plane of reality, but then his Framistats is like, uh, he can't flip it because Hyperstorm, a.k.a. his grandkid, shows up and is like, uh, okay, I'm I'm basically going to beat the crap out of you guys. And in a nice moment, Nathaniel Richards uh, more or less gets the first shot in and is kind of like, oh, yeah, I only caught him by surprise because he knows I'm a big coward, basically, which I really liked. I sort of liked that he was like, oh, yeah, he would never, he knows that because I fear him, how much I fear him, he never expected me to strike the first blow. Again, I like it as a moment. It literally makes no sense. Like, the idea that Hyperstorm is, like, has all these powers, but he can only not be hit like he can only be hit by the people he's not expecting to hit him or whatever like it's all just it's all made up flabbity blab which is well i mean talk about made up flabbity job job like reed's entire plan is like galactus is dead so i'm going to use galactus's energy to defeat hyperstorm but in doing so he somehow brings galactus back to life right and galactus is like grumpy and so galactus zaps hyperstorm and so the plan works like like what actually happened there yeah the thing is there's one pan there's like one panel where reed's whole thing is like it was precisely because of the way that the silver surfer told me that galactus was dead i was able to track his energy and realize that it was an exhaust trail left by the world ship so it did not actually it wasn't destroyed um because if the ultimate nullifier had hit it, it would have eradicated all traces of the ship. But the energy trail shows that Galactus managed to save himself. And here's where Reed's theory gets a little wonky. He's in a parallel dimension, but we have to be here to basically track down which parallel dimension he is. So he literally uses that by finding the energy, he's able to track down Galactus. He bridges the void between the two galaxies. Galactus, who has saved himself but is starving, is more or less, you know, uh, uh, essentially Reed's brilliant plan is Galactus is at this point infinitely hungry and Hyperstorm is more or less infinitely capable of pumping out the very energy that Galactus feeds off of, which is the power of hyperspace. And therefore, essentially, both of them are going to be drawn into this parallel dimension, and neither of them are ever going to bother us again, because essentially, the the two of them are are, are locked in this exciting meal uh, together. So... It's, I mean, it's, it's kind of nuts. It reads more than anything like, like I said, it's somewhere around 412, DeFalco realizes the book's going to be taken away from him. Yeah. 
It must be. And he is rushing to wrap stuff up. And yep. he definitely knows what's happening now because there is a one-page subplot where Franklin, like small child Franklin, is very upset because he knows his parents are in danger. Right. And a, 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 a small child called Charlie shows up yep. to befriend him and distract him. And that's literally an onslaught subplot. Right. Well, no, so here's so, no, the thing. So he knows it's coming. Well, of course. I mean, Graham, here's the question is, I assume the whole reason why Franklin has to get turned back into a little kid is for... It's because of Onslaught, right? Right. So, yeah, which, I thought that as well. I, and I kind of have that moment of like, wow, that's kind of sad and hilarious that everyone sat down and plotted out Onslaught. And then they're like, wait, what do you mean Franklin's a teenager? He's... No, mm-hmm. he's like he's like five years old. That's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Charlie's able to sort of seduce him over because he's just a little kid. And it's, everyone's like, how long has he been a teenager? And they're like, I don't know, three years, three and a half years. They're like, fuck. No one, no one on Marvel staff has read the Fantastic Four in like three and a half years. And so they're like, look, you've got like an issue and a half to turn him back into a five-year-old. And Tom mm-hmm. DeFalco's like, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I can do it, and I can wrap up Hyperstorm at the same time. Yeah. Job exactly. done. <laughs> and it reads super fucking rushed. Yeah. It's kind of a shame, because there is a lot in there. Like, there's a sweet spot with DeFalco. He needed more time than he got here. But the fact of the matter is, this Hyperstorm wrap-up issue, while not great and deeply flawed is still more enjoyable than the two or three issues mm-hmm. that came before it. Mm-hmm. You know, again... Mm-hmm. Just just like 406 through 409 were really good because he was working to a deadline but also had the space to to give the story as much space as needed. Exactly. Uh, we got two issues left. Fuck Ish- everything else, Jeff. Fuck everything else. We have two issues of Fantastic Four left yeah. and they are the weirdest last two issues. They really are. They really it's, are. It's, genuinely stunning not only is paul ryan gone all of yes. a sudden with no warning yeah it's shocking isn't it carlos pacheco but specifically 1996 carlos pacheco who does not look like current day carlos pacheco at all no he really doesn't mm-hmm. but also like it's i mean we talk about like we joke about crossover issues not seeming like you know the the, the main book mm-hmm. but these issues aren't a fantastic for a comic no they're really not and it's weird part of it is i would say and i could be completely wrong but successful or not and i would say in many cases not i feel like carlos pacheco is trying to draw a lot more like alan davis than he is to trying to draw like paul ryan uh and also for whatever reason maybe because Onslaught, from what I can tell, honestly, I've never read about it, has just heard about it. Essentially, that Onslaught is an attempt of having the entire Marvel writing staff trying to out Chris Claremont, Chris Claremont. Oh, there are some amazing Chris Claremont moments in in 415 especially. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought so as well. So... Um, but even in here, yeah, yeah, even especially, I think, in 415. Sorry, I got my numbering wrong. Uh, so, yeah, that opener is very, very, very Claremont. And um, it's it's kind of like a Claremont comic where DeFalco's like, okay, but 
can I squeeze some Fantastic Four in here just a little bit, like a subplot or two? I mean, anyway, I don't know. Try summarizing it, Graham. Have fun. Oh, God, great. Okay, then. Uh, <laughs> an enemy among us, exclamation point. It actually, it's actually called See the Fantastic Four Face the Unstoppable Menace of Onslaught, an enemy among us, I guess, mm-hmm. considering the banner at the top of it, is is like part of the Onslaught crossover. It's it's particularly scattered mm-hmm. by, honestly, by, by what it has to do in narrative terms. Mm-hmm. We have Charlie, who is, spoilers, a psychic projection of Onslaught, who is, for those who don't know, an evil part of Professor X's brain and an evil part of Magneto's brain, supercharged and super evil for some fucking reason. Yep. Charlie is treating Franklin to, shall we call them hallucinations? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess they're psychic projections. It, it's not amazingly clear. Mm-hmm. But he's essentially trying to get Franklin on site. Uh, as he's doing this, the FF get back from their mission. They're all very excited. It's the last time you're going to see them in those costumes. Because, f- spoilers, for no reason whatsoever, they have brand new costumes for the rest of this issue and next issue. Yep. Who the fuck knows? Uh, they return... Nathaniel Richards is great because he is hilariously shady in a whole new way. Yep. Where he's like, I helped you beat Hyversorm. This is great. They're interrupted by Professor X, who is, of course, evil. He wants to talk about basically uh, kidnapping Franklin. He pretends it is for Franklin's own good, but really he wants Franklin for evil purposes. Right. At the time as he's visiting this, the Avengers are calling Scott Lang to warn him about Onslaught. Scott Lang gets psychically whammied by Professor by Hicks, even as he's having a conversation with the FF. So good job for multitasking, I guess. Yep. While that is happening, Johnny and Elijah have their heart-to-heart mm-hmm. about, you know, turns out you've been pretending to be my girlfriend. Yeah. Because that's a, that's a regular conversation. Mm-hmm. Professor X fails to convince the other members of Fantastic Four, so of course turns into Onslaught and like psychically whammies them and then attacks the rest of the inhumans who are there because everyone forgot the inhumans were still there i definitely forgot the inhumans i did too there. yeah completely and the human torch and there's a fight and nathaniel richards gets involved but because onslaught is part magneto he pulls my um, nathaniel richards cyborg parts out mm-hmm. and then there's more of a fight i guess mm-hmm. and you get an interlude with the watcher and apocalypse having a conversation because <laughs> for no immediately apparent reason and then you see the team up you've always wanted to see reed richards and Iceman fighting against onslaught yeah because of course you do and then everyone gets together and loses and onslaught gets franklin the end yep and if that sounds confusing as shit imagine reading the fucker yeah no kidding i mean it's a mess you uh did you mention the fact that johnny and Lysha kiss which i i of course is... uh, no i i just i just mentioned that they had a heart to heart but yeah, they have they this kiss. heart to heart yeah they the kiss because he says like Nobody could ever kiss like you, pretty lady. And they oh, kiss, right. and she's and that, like, "Where do we go it's, from it's here?" In the middle of the fight. Yeah, yeah. It's in the middle of it, the fight. Yeah, yeah it's 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 practically, it's like two pages before the end. But I'm like, okay, well, at least there's something that Jeff cares about in this issue, which is sad, but hey, it's true. And no, but really, like this is a this is a a, a really a mess of an issue. Yeah. It, it's it's really impressively 
I mean, messy is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. it it's it. There is no structure. Yeah. It is literally Defalco clearly has been told this is the issue where Onslaught gets Franklin. And by the way, you have to have cameos from the Avengers and the X Men. And he tries his best, but with so many things that he has to do, right? It, it's just it's it's a disaster. It's a disaster. One of the things that I think is really funny is four sixteen almost reads to me like a do-over of issue 415 like he's like okay if i was going to do this i'm going to i do it like this because what's funny about that is 416 is called unfinished business Uh, yes exactly which which is really funny uh it's it starts off with uh uh, well, are there things that you want to talk about 415 or should we just go to 416? No, because to my that? mind, 415 and 416 are pretty much I think so too. Of yeah, exactly. Uh, so it opens up with somebody who looks hilariously like Zarko the Tomorrow Man, but is in fact just a paunchy, bald guy who uh, is there to tell Dr. Doom some exposition. Dr. Doom being like, wait, he kidnapped Franklin Richards, the son of my greatest enemy? Why, this may require my personal attention. You cut to everyone sitting around holding themselves and looking beaten up. And and I think my favorite part is Carlos Pacheco has Franklin's two dolls, one which is a uh, purple Hobbs action figure, and the other one being like fucking Dragon Ball, which is just great. I just appreciated seeing. Every time we had the little Goku figure, I was in it. Uh... Sue, of course, is completely upset, and in my favorite panel, she's like, we all have our regrets, Scott. Every one of us has wasted time, which could have been put to better use. We can only hope we'll get another chance to correct those mistakes. I I think that that is the closest you get to DeFalco, actually. This entire issue, entire issue, reads like DeFalco do, is doing it all under duress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of things about about them thinking about, you know, uh, he's kind of giving people their various closing scenes. And it's sad that for Frank, for Reed and Sue, one of their closing scenes is literally Sue being like, we have to think about our kid. And he's like, you're right. We should take a sabbatical for from the FF. And I'm just like, holy f- it's amazing how much. So much of this just exits right back out at the portal of Steve Englehart's run. Like, whether anyone read it or not, like, a lot of the stuff that Steve Englehart decided were problems to the FF or that were necessary to try and get the FF to move forward and how it was impossible for them to move forward without Reed and Sue, it's like nobody read that run or everyone hated it. And then it just comes back sort of regurgitated in these various weird forms. But the one part that I do like is this idea that Sue slash DeFalco is saying, like, if I'd known what was going to happen, I probably wouldn't have wasted so much time, which I think is maybe that's I I think I'm reading too much into it because I think DeFalco has been on this book for years and years by this point, like maybe five years or something like that. And from from 256 to 416 um but the but he's still kind of like oh if only we had had the time but there's also i feel like that's a little bit of the 
um, you know, the kind of the poignancy. What I do like in a way about this is, is that DeFalco somehow manages to turn the concept of Franklin's trying to send a message to let everyone know that he's still alive. Onslaught twists it to have, once again, the classic, the FF are attacked by all their old foes at once, but all their old heroes are also popping up. And so it's kind of, it's weird. It's sort of like Tom DeFalco has this last issue where uh, after this, the FF are, are in the in the process of being swallowed up by this ridiculous, enormous crossover to justify, you know, essentially these books being put in the hands of, of image guys. Uh, DeFalco is like, yeah, you know what was fucking great? The fucking marriage of Reed and Sue in which every fucking villain showed up and every fucking hero showed up to help the FF beat their every fucking villain. So, and of course, uh, DeFalco being DeFalco, he's like, and some of the greatest villains involve are like Paybok, the Power Skull, and Malice, the, Malice and Devos, the Devastator. And I'm actually really surprised that black, liquidy, gooey bullshit didn't pop. Oh, Dreadface. Yeah, Dreadface really should have been in here. I, I, I assume they just didn't have enough pages. One thing that I did like uh, that's a kind of weird thing is, is that I have no reason why. It's just a made-up plot point. But Ben has to disassemble the machine that can turn him back and forth from... Uh, turn him human again so that they can build a machine that can help Franklin. And I think that one of the things that I actually really like about it is of course, it's got the whole like Reed being like, but if you do this, you can never, what? No. And, and what I like is, is that Ben is just like, I would do anything for my nephew. Like there's nothing that I wouldn't do for him, for that kid. Like even that plot makes no sense to me. Oh yeah. No, because why can't you just rebuild the machine? No, I know. Like, didn't they bother to, like, look at it, scan it? I mean, there's just so many little points where it's like the moment of reconciliation between Reed and Namor. It's like, I'm like, this means nothing. Like, Yeah, the why? Whole, yeah, the, the whole issue really kind of doesn't mean anything. Uh, and so DeFalco's like, well, as long as it doesn't mean anything, I might as well go to FF Standard 307. You know, which but that's I, that's just it. Four fifteen and four sixteen do mean nothing. Yeah. yeah, they 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 do not forward the story of the Fantastic Four at all. Well, no, they do not offer a narrative mm -hmm. that has a beginning, middle, and end at all. Right. I mean, the end of four sixteen, the end of the first volume of the Fantastic Four. Yes. Yeah. Is literally a double page spread. Of Reed shaking his fist to the reader to say, like, you know, if we fail, humanity dies. Get ready to rumble, people. In the words of my dearest friend, it's clobbering time. Enough said. And then it goes, the end for now. Yeah. And it's like, what? Yep. Yep. Like, what the, what the ever-living fuck? Yeah. Completely. Completely. Uh, I, I, did you read this in GIT Core? Or did you read this in Marvel Unlimited? Because in GIT Core, there's a backup, which isn't on Marvel Unlimited. I, which I just noticed now. I read it in Marvel Unlimited like an idiot, and I'm just now seeing the fucking GIT Core, Tom DeFanco, John Basima. Right. But which it's, is... it's, it's like the 
worst what if like it's literally because <laughs> no, it's, it's essentially like yeah. what if what if doom's accident didn't go wrong i don't get it like it it just sets up the or like it's it's a pre-origin yeah that doesn't do anything yep you know yeah yeah there, there's no there's no closure so like this entire issue has no closure right well, I, I think that's one of the things which I find fascinating because I was I was appalled that the end of the issue in Marvel Un, uh, Unlimited has no closure and ends with Reed shaking his fist and that whole ridiculous bullshit like that's really deeply uninteresting. But then the idea that reading this in the original, it's like, oh, here's Tom DeFalco doing a little story. And this has no closure. And it, it's literally like, what were they? They had six pages that they had to fill, and they, this was the thing they had started? Like, did they take inventory? You know what I mean? Like, there's literally that first page is clearly not Basima drawing Uatu. And then it cuts to what's clearly a, a John Basima and Tom Palmer panel. Um, mm-hmm. So... And then there's that Wait, last are, page. But are you sure that's not Basima? Because that, I think it might be. That picture of Uatu? I yeah. don't think so. Maybe. Maybe it's... Let's put it this way. Because it says, with special thanks for Rafael Marin and Carlos Pacheco, I think Marin and Pacheco drew the first page. They draw the last page, which is, again, like John Basima does I mean, not... The, the... Also, the last page is super weird because quite clearly that panel of mm-hmm. of doing the thing like is something weird has happened to that panel. Yeah. No, and that's it. I think that they had like I don't know if they had like a what if story that that um you know had been abandoned for issue four hundred that DeFalco had started on. If they had a drawer story, like literally there was an undone what if story that never got completed that they had like five pages or six I mean, pages of that might be why there's no story yeah why there's no story there i th- i honestly feel like this is something that they dragged out of the drawer and it was a desperate hail mary and it's like okay you guys draw the opener and the closer and i'll just make up a bunch of bullshit and it it's just scraps it just feels like table scraps like it and this is the last issue of the series yeah like of of marvel's first series yep yep it's genuinely mind-blowing to me yeah to me too because it's because it's sad it really does have that moment of a uh, the book is ending in the way that it's ending so that other people can more or less take it over you know um which says something kind of amazing anyway but then when you see those scraps you're just there is a little bit of the uh you know i don't know how to describe it like there's there's a it makes you wonder how much the people who work on these books as much as they proclaim to care about the characters you know couldn't care less yeah maybe that's that's how it gives it that's definitely the impression it gives off and maybe it's something else maybe it's literally just kind of a well, this is the job. We got to do the job. Frankly, I'm pissed off the shit that my entire run is being, you know, of 50 issues. I had to wrap up like in an issue and a half. And now this bullshit 
and then and then the books are being handed over to people who I think don't know their ass from a tire and um or maybe maybe it is it's just that those last pages that I'm just seeing now I'm like this is so cynical I mean the whole issue is so cynical in a way and it's it the last two issues are it's so funny because yeah. I remember when this book was coming out mm-hmm. Pacheco taking over because I think I'd seen Pacheco on like the flash before this mm. like I, Pacheco was for some reason on my radar mm-hmm. um and I remember being like oh it's so exciting look at this um but reading it now Mm-hmm. And I'm not a Paul Ryan fan. Mm-hmm. Reading now, I'm like, it's weirdly offensive mm-hmm. that Pacheco comes in for what is essentially two issues of filler at the end. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. Part of me is like, I don't know. Like, who knows? Maybe Ryan was like, fuck it. I'm not going to draw this. I doubt it. It just sort of feels like they're kind of like, no, 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 no. Pacheco is a guy that we've got. Like, he's the guy who helped work up the character designs for Onslaught or whatever. And he's the guy that we need drawing it what it feels to me is because these days you have like crossovers and spin-off titles yeah, right right it feels like 414 is actually the last issue of fantastic four yes. and then you get two issues of like onslaught colon fantastic four yep no well god knows that's exactly how it reads like it reads like the ff are guest stars in their own book which we've talked about being a problem with the ff particularly in their annuals and here it's 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 the main fucking book. That's how you send them off. So yeah, it is a shame because four fourteen is pretty much the way that you have to. You, you have to wrap it all up. Oh, the one thing, the one thing I should say is, I remember we were talking about Donald and the subplot that never happens. Yes, there is a page, and I think it's four sixteen, where like it's literally in an expositionary heavy conversation between Cassie and Kristoff. Oh God. Right. That, that has nothing to do with anything else in the book. Right before they get jumped by Kang. That's right. Yes. Yeah. You have Cassie and Kristoff mm-hmm. be like, well, turned out that Tony was being abused by his parents, but he talked to a teacher and that's taken care of. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is stunning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's, that's crazy. There's a whole thing with, uh, I mean, it's weird how much there's like, there's no real, like, there's a scene with Alicia that I have no reason why she's in there at all. Because again, the fact that she pops up really reinforces how much DeFalco did not want to deal with her, you know? Um, but then you get that sort of generic, you know, the thing being like, I, I've never been so overwhelmed, but I got to do something because, you know, Alicia's in danger. And meanwhile, Lysha and Johnny are about to go in for another kiss. And then they get they get attacked by the scrolls who are basically kind of on brand, like they're kind of xenophobic, racist. It's it's sort of one of the things that is strange about it is how much DeFalco's like, yeah, I'm going to write these characters like they're really the characters. And then they more or less disappear. Like it's a little bit it's it it's a little bit of a phantasmagoria, I guess, for lack of a better term. It's just I mean, the other the better term might be bullshit. It's all just bullshit, which is which is a shame. It's such a shame to see this book kind of just go out like a chump without any respect for it. And I do think that there's a way in which for whatever else his sins, and there are a lot of them, (laughs) a lot of them. 
<laughs> DeFalco does end up going out with the FF. Like, by the time you get to the end, you're kind of like, oh, maybe he wasn't paying attention. Maybe he wasn't happy. Maybe he was just cranking out the shit to make it sell. But when the chips are down, you get the sense that Tom DeFalco really does care about the Fantastic Four, the characters that he's creating, and kind of the story that he's telling, even if half the time he's not caring enough to tell it well. Yes. You know? Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's entirely right, because as we've been saying through this episode and earlier episodes, he keeps coming up with really good ideas. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. he keeps coming up with really good ideas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and again, part of me is like, by the time we got to the Fantastic Four, this is the thing that I do wonder about myself and how much I like the, quote unquote, like the FF, is by the time that DeFalco is done with the book half of the characters that I like are not the Fantastic Four. You know what I mean? Right. Like, this is what I was saying before. You, I, I got to the end of this, and maybe you did too, thinking I would read a spin-off book that was Nathan, like Nathaniel, yep. and Elijah, yep. and Christoph, yes. and Scott Lang, and yep. Cassie. Yep. And it seems like a narrative hole that that never happened. Mm-hmm. Because the FF disappears, but those characters don't, except they really do. Yeah. Like, Elijah isn't seen again for, like, another 12 years. Wow. You know? Like, Mm -hmm. she just disappears. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have no idea of when Scott Langsness' appearance is. Mm -hmm. Like, I I honestly could not tell you when Kristoff appears next. Right. You know? And it's so weird, because they have been integral parts of this book. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they just disappear entirely yeah yeah well uh, in some ways i think there's there is the it used to be very standard i mean this is a much more truncated version of what you used to see but it used to be kind of standard you introduced characters you you when you leave the book like those supporting characters usually disappear more often than not. I mean, God help you if you're actually Sharon Ventura and you actually do end up remaining in the book because that's not going to turn out well for you. But you know what I mean? Like, they're like, eh. it's, it's just so weird that, like, I mean, Lija in particular. Oh, God. Lijah is, by the end of this book, yeah. not just Johnny Tag's wife. Yeah. She is also the person he has declared love for again. That's right. And the idea, if nothing else, the idea that Claremont never brought her back is nuts to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Because again, as we talk about, there's varying levels of their uh, obsessiveness that that is kind of great. They could have gone on to be like the perfect dysfunctional relationship, as far as I'm concerned. Or for me, because I'm a soppy romantic, the scene in which they finally kiss after all this, and he's like, "I gotta admit, I'm still in love with you," is great because it's a payoff for. Years of longing. Oh yeah, on it's, 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 part. it's it's but also it's a payoff for a subplot that like came about in what the third or fourth issue. Yes, of the Defalco mm-hmm. Ryan run, right. which at this point is like sixty issues ago. Yeah, right, exactly. Five years no? ago, they came up with a really pretty clever explanation for the Alicia stuff, and then frankly, you know, I don't know if they were they were juke in the stats but the letters pages are then filled with people being like bring back Lyja for like months on end like you shouldn't have killed her because she was great 
Because there was that weird thing of like, suddenly you had a character who had stakes and had something to lose and also had the ability to grow. And the thing about the FF under DeFalco and frankly with everyone else apart from, I would say, Burn, is the characters don't really grow. They pretend to grow, but for the most part, it's like unless you're going to have them possessed by an evil spirit or a machinery that changes their thing or some other out that you can give yourself, you kind of can't have them change because they're beloved I, I characters have, in their family. You have Lee and Kirby, mm-hmm. you have Byrne, and then you have Englehart. Mm-hmm. That's right. Those, yeah, are, those are the right. only those are the only uh, yeah. writers on this series mm-hmm. that actually are even concerned with the idea of the characters growing. Yes, yeah. You know, and even to an extent, Burn isn't. Uh, do you, you think... know, Burn? I think Burn is a big fan of the illusion of change mm-hmm. because honestly, did any of the? I guess Sue grew. Sue Sue grows, of course, there's Ben actually really does grow a lot. The whole idea of like Burn is Mr. Like, let's reinvent the wheel. But he's very he's very much a fan of I'm going to reinvent the wheel. Like he's setting everything up for this. Like, here's why Ben and Johnny have to kind of have some animosity again or here's why ben can't be an entirely trustworthy character because he wasn't entirely trustworthy in the first 12 issues of the fantastic four here's how i'm going to get there and i'm actually going to get there through growth of everyone and then have it so that they more or less are at loggerheads it's and i think it's it's not a bad idea. Of course, then Burn leaves and everybody's like, what do I do with this fucking mess? And, you know, Englehart's like, sure, I'll move this forward. I'll move this down the board. <laughs> what I'm fascinated by is how much I would say that up until like there's a period that's probably like, I don't know, issue 12, 15. I know that we delineated it in an early episode. But there's a point where Ben Grimm becomes the Ben Grimm that we really know, the lovable guy with the cigar, right? And that character grows and grows and grows and more or less takes over the book and and is the star of the book. And then I feel like Byrne is the guy who's like, you know what? You got to put the brakes on this character. He like he takes over he's taken over the book he's taken over the book i'm gonna write him out i'm gonna have him come back i'm gonna have him come back and be a monster and hate everyone and and it's amazing kind of how much ben as an as a kind of a kind of a dick is not Like, that stays a long time. I don't think he ever really gets back to his beloved Idol of Millions character. Like, there's a lot in this book where he's kind of doing shitty things or he's way more selfish than... Oh, yeah, yeah, he he doesn't. Like, because all through Engelhart's run, Mm -hmm. like, he starts off incredibly angry right in large run and kind of kind of comes back right. but like even in defalco's run oh very much in defalco's run very much has a darkness to him yep. that, that he did not have before that's right in fact it apart from reed and the idea why we're both kind of disappointed is 
is every character more or less has a moment where DeFalco's like, okay, I'm going to make this character really unlikable. And honestly, I feel like he keeps trying to do that with Johnny and then backing off and then kind of is like, ah, let's put him in Fantastic Force. You know what I mean? Like he's just kind Mm -hmm. of, he doesn't, like the closest he is, is I think he realizes I can just do the the sort of doomed love triangle of him and Lija and whoever Lija is pretending to be, and that works. And it does make sense. In a way, I think there is a little bit of even Kirby and Lee are kind of like, you can't really have Johnny change. Like, he's a hothead, but you also kind of can't have him, like, what does that mean? You can't have him be unlikable. Oh, I know. We'll just have him be like the world's most tormented uh, love interest, you know? And uh, it's interesting that DeFalco plays back to that. But I really was like reading these last couple of issues, particularly when Ben's like, oh, yeah, Elijah, I think I, I yeah, that's she's hot stuff or a couple of his thought balloons. It doesn't pan out. But there's something where it's like, oh, duh. And I feel like that is kind of that undercurrent that they had been doing with Ben for a huge chunk. Again, like by that point, by the time that Byrne leaves, like it's a hundred plus issues of Ben who went from being kind of the the star of the book and one of Marvel's most popular characters to kind of becoming definitely not, you know, definitely a guy yeah. who I think loses because part of his appeal was that he was a blue collar guy. And then you have Wolverine come along. Who's even more of a blue collar guy mm-hmm. and a more mm-hmm. convincing blue collar guy than Ben. And, uh, and then Ben just sort of loses his title, but it is kind of weird to see him like the guy who held down the, the Marvel two in one for a hundred issues or 150. Is it hundred? It's a hundred. Yeah. A hundred issues of him teaming up with everybody and everybody more or less loving Ben is like, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's odd. I, I no, it's, it's, it, you're, you're right. Okay. So I, I am, I'm very conscious of the time in yes. part because I'm going to have to edit. This <laughs> I know episode. you poor guy. I, yeah. We um, but I want to ask you a, a few questions cause, cause sure. like we're done. Jeff. Right. We're done. Right. Question one, mm-hmm. favorite fantastic four member. Uh, of the original four or anyone any, that's any come in? member who, anyone who has ever been a member of the Fantastic Four. Oof. Uh, that is rough. That is really rough. Honestly, um, there are, there's, I, I, I'll cheat and I'll give you four really quickly and not thinking too much about it. <laughs> okay. But thematically cheating. I like it. Yeah, exactly. I figured I could get away that way. One, uh, Ben during it drawn by Kirby inked by Senate. Uh, okay. two, uh, honestly, I'm going to give it up for Lysia because she was the, she had the most romantic suffering going on. And I really, I just really ended up liking her all the way through. So I, I ended up really liking Lysia by these last few issues. Yeah. Right. It's really strange, especially as she ends up being, um, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, she went for me at least. She ends up being Ben. 
she ends up being the heart of the team. Yes. And she I don't think she's ever actually properly a member of the team either. Yes. But she ends up being a, oh she ends up being the heart of the book. Yes. She ends up being the heart of the book which works in some ways she's and 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 I think it's sad because I think someone listening to us who who you know has may have my number is be like well of course you guys like her because she's essentially a more sexualized Sharon Ventura you know Sharon is became is she, the what well, I would say that there's I a think, point I think Elijah has more I think Elijah I, I think Elijah has more agency or I I think Elijah is at least missing the um like the completely ridiculous heel turn that is forced upon Sharon well. Even before, well, so part of why I mentioned this was there was a point where you and I really liked Sharon as well. And it was kind of in that point where she was kind of being the the member of the team that's the outsider and is able to see everyone else's relationships. But Sharon's pricklier in a way. She's smarter. She's more complicated in terms of what she wants. Like, even when she's like, I like being the she thing, she's she's not like how her and Ben get along shift all over the place. But I feel like when you said like, Oh yeah, she's the heart of the team. I'm like, I feel like there was a point where Sharon was really being accepted by the team and also kind of had everyone's number and everyone. And, and we also liked that a lot too. But for me, the reason why I like Lysha is, is because she is the Marvel trope of the, of the unrequited lover, you know, the that weirdly I feel tends to get played in Marvel comics by men. Like you spend a lot more time seeing Cyclops uh, longing for Jean Grey than you end up seeing Jean Grey long for Scott. And in fact, then you see Wolverine long for Jean Grey when she's with Cyclops, you know, or it's like you see Peter Parker longing for Gwen Stacy or Mary Jane or whomever and not as much every once in a while they'll have female characters do that same sort of like oh why can't i tell him that i love him like like jane foster you know or something mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or betty betsy Ro betty ross but it never quite lands as much as lysha does because for me lysha kind of has that it's just it just works for me. Like again, and part of it is is because it starts becoming more and more twisted when she's pretending to be someone so that she can date her ex husband and he doesn't know she's basically stalking him. Because it's such a reversal, like it's not as um it's it's you can't just the it's not just that weirdo toxic masculinity that you can see creep out uh, creep up and creep out of Peter Parker, you know, when he's Spider-Man being written by Jerry Conway. Anyway, so yeah, Lysha's number two. Uh, God help me. I'm almost tempted to say that Christoph might be number three. <laughs> I honestly thought Christoph would be in there when you said you're going to do four. Yeah, when I said I was going to do four, I knew that actually Lysha and Christoph were going to be in there. And then, honestly, I don't no, I honestly, really, genuinely do not know who the fourth character would be. I almost let's think... leave it a revolving spot, Jeff. It is because half the time, part of me, I keep wanting to say, you know, I really loved when Luke Cage was there. He was barely there. I also yeah. kind of liked it when Crystal was a member of the team. She was 
barely there. And I mean the first time. She was not barely there. I was going to say, she was barely there twice. Yeah, she was barely, <laughs> exactly. She barely counts as that. I, I think there's a lot to be said for She-Hulk. I thought She-Hulk was a great replacement. So yeah, let's make let's make Jen Walters. Let's make She-Hulk my, my fourth choice. Who would you say? Do you have oh, four? Ben, Do you have ben one? Graham. Yeah. No, one. Ben. Yeah, yeah the thing. Mm-hmm. Easily. Easily. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's just he's consistently the most interesting member of the team. Yeah, in large part because of the the changes that we talked about. Yeah, like I, I my favorite Ben Grimm is the Ben Grimm that everyone loves. Mm-hmm. But it's fascinating that, as you said, like Burton writes him out, and then when he gets brought back, he's a very different character. He never quite goes back. He never quite reverts. I yeah. mean, he does ultimately. Yeah. Outside of this volume, he does. Yes. But in this volume, he never does. Yeah. And that's really interesting. Yep. Yeah, it's true. And honestly, he as a character, he survives it. Like, it's... Yeah, I agree. I think that's a great choice uh, and, and a great explanation. So I, I won't blab so we can get to any other questions. Uh, question number two, favorite writer? Shit. Ah, uh, that's rough. Because um, I was going to say favorite artist, but it's got to be Kirby, right? Yeah, I, I'm Kirby and Sinnott. Kirby, Kirby and Sinnott, yeah. Yeah, that, that's it just like, that's, that's favorite, it. Favorite writer. Uh, that is really tough, because I would say, because I really don't know what I would say. Um, I think I might go with Engelhart. I, really I, think, think, I, I might. think I might as well. I think it would be Engelhart, and then a very close second would be Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, exactly. Kirby, Kirby was like my runner-up as well. But um, I think I would go with Engelhart. Yeah, yeah. I think I, God help me. I, I, I agree. That's so funny. I really thought you were going to go with Simonson. So still, so. no, because honestly, that reread of Simonson actually killed it for me. Genuinely mm. did. I'm so sorry, but I get it. Uh, no, I, I, yeah, I it, for entirely legitimate reasons, but it yeah. did kill it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say who's your best villain, but it's got to be Doom, right? Yeah, I think uh, uh yeah, Doom Doom is Doom still manages to be great. What I find amazing is is if you were to ask me who writes the best Doom, I think DeFalco's really got to be right. up there, so which weird. is shocking yeah. to me. Like he does he everything that I think of as classic Doom stuff. I honestly Burn Burns also writes a great pretty great Doctor Doom as well cuz he uh, although it comes and Bur- goes, burn might burn might draw my favorite Doom. Yeah, he actually does a great great job. Um, although, although, goddamn, that Simonson redesign, fuck, that was beautiful. I do miss that. That that was a shame because that was a that was a beautiful piece of work. His redesign of Doctor Doom. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But okay, um, yeah. last last question, Jeff. Right, and then we're done. <laughs> okay. Okay. Will you miss the Fantastic Four? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I. I. You know, it's really funny because we did bitch our way, bitch a blue streak through the Defalco mm-hmm. stuff, and justifiably. But the, to me, like I said, because I ended up getting hooked on both Lysha and Kristoff. Uh, where suddenly, like, I've got two characters that I really like what's going on with their little stories and where they're going. Um, I 
kind of will miss it. There was a huge chunk where I did not. Oh, there was a huge chunk where I think that if I had been like, Jeff, let's just quit, you'd have been like, yep. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, and the weird part is, and this is the thing that I think is, is interesting, is how much, and I believe we talked about that, how much the FF are always a half step away from being a really boring, not especially good book. Like, Every period, honestly, when Kirby is running out of gas uh, in the like the late 80s or 90s or whatever, he's still he's you can tell he is bored of the Fantastic Four. And once he's gone, Stan does not know what to do with the characters at all. And by Stan, I mean, John Basima doesn't know. And then Stan can't really cover it up. But. The tribute bands, like half of Conway's stuff is terrible. Half of Thomas's stuff is terrible. I would say that just about, like, it's almost like a radioactive half-life. No matter how long someone's run on the FF is, half of it is going to be not very good slash boring as shit, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that Engelhart might be the only guy who beats that just because his his version of bad FF is not bad in the way that everyone else's is. You know what I mean? It's yeah, and also he he his restlessness yeah was was wonderful yeah. and was was really enjoyable. Yeah, no, it's true. He's a guy for a relatively short run. The book changes like three or four times during the course of it, which is which is really remarkable and of real relief compared to what everyone else is doing, which is kind of like, uh, you know, not so much. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, in, entirely. So I, that was probably a very long-winded way of dodging it. Uh, but I think that by the time we get to the end of this, I can see a way in which there would be a Fantastic Four comic that I would really like reading and honestly, it would be almost a Fantastic Four comic in which the FF are not quite guest stars, but mm -hmm. but almost not the focus where, honestly, I mean, because I felt that too. There were times where before Franklin gets written out where I'm like, I'm kind of into Team Franklin. I'm, you know, I'm kind of got a little bit of... Even by the time you get, you know, Nathaniel Richards, I, just, I feel like because every other character can change, they're interesting. And because Ben is the one character who they do change and they don't, they can't, they don't, no one really seems that interested in rolling it back. Um, but everyone else just seems locked down in a way. Um, so, so yeah, uh, an FF book in which Reed pops up like once every 10 issues for a storyline in which he's discovered some huge menace that he can't figure out how to solve would be fine with me, you know? So I don't I'm, know. I'm like, I just, so you should read fantastic force, which I promise whatnot. I really, am going to do the, the bugs or bungalow at some point. Right. It's just been very busy, yeah. but, but it, but it is coming. It's going to come significantly after everything else. I wish I could say it's worth the wait. It's not, but for completists, <laughs> it'll be there. Patreon completists, wow. you'll get it. 
That's amazing. No, really. I honestly could not say it's worth the wait, Jeff. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. I have to say, well, of course, in the previous episode, during the, the annuals episode, we we talked. No, it was, last, was it last episode? It was, we... which, was that, which was the annuals episode. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. Where we talked about Fantastic Force. I dug that first miniseries, and I know the second miniseries is, is on Marvel Unlimited, and God help me, I'll read it. You should. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fun stuff. It yeah. really is. No, I know. It was all fun, and it was all kind of – it was enjoyable to me in a way that, the, that again, I wanted – when I'm always like, ah, oh, the DeFalco books really aren't. But the fact is, a lot of the FF kind of wasn't. Like, I find myself really realizing how much the FF is uh, trapped by their own success relatively mm-hmm. quickly, and then mm-hmm. – not being able to grow or evolve. It know, never is it never escaped its original incarnation in a way that I think every other Marvel book has. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I think You know, every every other Marvel book got out of the shadow of Stan one way or another. Yep. And honestly I don't think the FF ever has. Yeah, I think I think there's something to that. Uh for me. I mean because honestly, a lot of people were just doing tribute band stuff, and then yeah, no, it's it's a shame. It, but it could be. But again, part of me is almost with that idea of you have you just have to move beyond the FF. They have to be the touch point and the inspiration. But then you kind of got to get them out of there. So, yeah. anyway, so Graham, do we do? I guess we close this all up. <laughs> yeah, I think we're done. The, wow. the Baxter, the Baxter Building, Jeff, is wow. closing. That's right. The please, Baxter. please, please clear all your belongings. <laughs> we are, we are done. Yeah. Uh, this is super weird because we've been doing this for like four years. Yeah. Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's legitimately odd to be finishing it. Yeah. Um. Do you want me to just go into like the show notes part and all that? Yeah, I think so because because we still have a few things to iron out. We should tell people yes, yeah. that we yes. are doing another uh, read through podcast. There, 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 yeah, there is there's something that will replace Baxter Building. That's right. So for those of you who are wondering, you might need to give us like maybe a month, maybe two, but probably just a month or so, and then we will be launching our next read through title and we will let you know and and i I also want to say someone on twitter did guess it oh you i can't believe you said that okay (laughs) come on look for all the posts are on twitter (laughs) yeah that's true but someone on twitter did guess it yeah it's true totally true okay so graham yes closing comments this is where i say there will be show notes for this again let's say some point on monday (laughs) because Work is absolutely nuts these days. Let's say show notes will be on waitwhatpodcast.com on Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, on Tumblr, you will get to see some of my favorite question mark things from Fantastic <laughs> Four 416 on Monday as well. That's waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. We have an Instagram, instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. We have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter te- I try that again. Jeff has a Twitter account. At Lazy Bassid, at L-A-Z-Y, B-A-S-T-I-D. It's getting late, Jeff. <laughs> it <laughs> really is. At Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And, oh, Baxter Building exists in the 
for the in the entire thing. Yeah. Because of people on Patreon, which means you have to do your spiel. I do. I'm going to make it very quick because poor Graham really does have to edit it. And there is... And he, it's over three hours. We're he over. tried so hard to keep us to, to like... He's like, I'm going to make it 120 minutes. I'm like, yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, you guys are great. We really are. We appreciate you so much. Uh, the listeners who you know, basically tune in and enjoy this. We had some great conversations on Twitter with people who talk about how much they enjoy listening to us be exasperated by terrible comics. Uh, you guys definitely got your fill <laughs> with the Baxter building. Uh, we also really want to thank uh, the people on Patreon who are listeners who uh, throw us a little bit of money uh, every month and uh, help keep us inspired, help keep us motivated and uh, we're super, super uh, grateful to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, uh, for their continuing support of this podcast. But you guys are all awesome. I really have to say I'm shocked that we we made it through 416 issues of the Fantastic Four. It literally would not have happened without you. So I guess thank you. Graham? Exactly. Thank you, maybe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, this is also the last podcast we're doing in 2018. That's right. Um, because the holidays are coming up, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we will be back uh, at the start of 2019. That's right. Uh, with a regular weight watch. Mm -hmm. And other than that, I think, Jeff, it's time for you to, to sing us out for the last time from the Baxter building. Well, I have to say, I think, as you pointed out, you more or less sang us out. So, yes. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Please uh, join us in exiting the Baxter building.